Good afternoon, good afternoon, good evening, all of the above. Thank you so much for watching On the Town with Tanya. And I'm your host, Tanya Cooper. Uh, thank you for coming back again another week. We appreciate you. Um, tonight's guest is a committee member for the 68th Assembly District of New York State. He's also the president of the Arc of Justice Bronx, New York chapter and board chair of Street Corner Resources Anti-Violence Organization. Please welcome James C.B. Gray. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I'm happy to be here and I hope we, uh, I think we're going to have a great show. <laughs> yes, definitely. I thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a very busy guy to catch up to. Um, so, <laughs> so I feel blessed and humbled that you were able to stop through. Uh, thank you. Um, so, so, ooh, New York State Assembly. What, what do, uh, what does New York uh, New York State Assembly members do? Well, That's for, for viewers that don't know. Okay, all right. So, uh, Assembly is. Um, uh, well, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm not Assembly. Right. But I've, I've worked in, you know, um, very closely affiliated with uh, assembly through the 68th assembly district. So mm -hmm. the assembly is basically based, based around the assembly district and uh, an appointed elected official who represents that district. Mm -hmm. um, it's 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 a uh, state assembly, mm -hmm. state uh, congress, and senate. You know, three different categories. But assembly, a lot of you know, is really more geared. Um, in, in the state and deals with even more local issues than than uh, con Congress and Senate. Okay, so what? So what would I, if I was a um, you know a regular citizen? What would I? What would I be? Um, what's the kind of things I would need you for? How about that? Because see, a lot of people don't know this. So I know it sounds like me just being really <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. There's sometimes we get people they really just don't know and and they need to know from the local level. They need to start learning. So okay, so. A state uh, assembly is similar to how the city council is structured, but on a much broader scale. Mm -hmm. So when you take all of the assembly members that are in uh, a certain district, mm -hmm. they're all assigned to different committees. And under those committees branch out specific details, you know, <coughs> of, 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 of obligation. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's like I said, it's, it's, it's structured similar to city council. Mm -hmm. City council just more more of direct and immediate. Then you got assembly. Then you got Congress. Then you got Senate. You know okay. what I'm saying? So they they branch out all the way to, uh, until it gets to the White House and and Congress governing everything. Then right. the federal. You know what I'm saying? So, like I said, the, the, the structure is a lot like uh, city council, but on a much broader scale. They reach out more outside of the the city into county and state. Okay. So, you know, so you're, 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 um, a lot of, uh, you know, I'll use this analogy a lot of times that your, uh, local politicians depend like, and this is one of the problems, uh, in, in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. they, for instance, there was a guy I knew he got to finally meet governor Cuomo and he's just going crazy mm -hmm. about an issue that governor Cuomo doesn't <laughs> <even> deal with, <laughs> right. you know, so I, I had to pull him to the side, like, yo, listen, man, you know, first of all, you just burnt the bridge right here, you know, but, you know, you're, the, the anger, sometimes you get angry, but in order to get results, you got to be strategic about, you know, how you move and, 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 and how you proceed in order to get the proper results. That mm -hmm. anger really is not going to help you. If you have a resolution 
and you and you're speaking to the right person, now we, we're getting closer to you know solving this problem. Right. You know what I'm saying? So first of all, you want to know who the person is that deals directly with this issue that you're right. having, and then once you approach them or, or uh, say if you're able to, you know, send them an email directly or get them on the phone or something. Mm-hmm. Once you have that moment, mm-hmm. it, it, then then it's not supposed to, the hostility. Right. A lot of times it's just going to destroy the whole you know interaction. Right. You know what I'm saying? So not only do you got to get rid of the anger, you have to be more strategic about your approach, and then be more direct in your approach of of speaking to the right person right. about the right situation. Right. You know what I'm and, saying? Right. And now all that information is actually available online. All of it. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Which is amazing. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. To go find someone, I was like, dang, I know really where to find them. <laughs> it's like <laughs> this is good. No, but it was it was a good it was a good reason. It was for foster youth. Um, but but it's it takes a little work, but but you do uh you you are people are more accessible now than they used to be. Oh yeah, know? much more, you know, and it's good because now you know, there's a lot of cases where people are being held accountable more yes. than they used to be. Yes. You know, that whole cronyism system that that yeah. you know it's 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 like Okay, it's phasing away, and then things are coming to light now. A lot of things that um, weren't as accessible back in the days are now really more accessible. You know. Yes. Well, um, speaking of which, uh, so I, um, I always ask people about politics um, uh, because it's a big thing right now. I'm not a fan of them at all, but I deal with them because I have to. Um, so yeah. a lot of African Americans. Um, are feeling not just African American. A lot of people are feeling a little dismayed, um, especially in the Democrat Democratic market. Um, some people say no, that's not true. But uh, the people I talk to, they're like, mm. so they're they're getting a little leery, um, mm-hmm. and that's only because uh, you know they would they would they're they're no longer convinced that uh, that they, you know, the Dems can bring us to the promised land because because uh, we know that that was always a myth told to us you know to me in trickery. Uh, by former slave masters, and, and and unfortunately, our Baptist ministers uh, co-signed on that. Some of them, some of them, not all of them. Uh, so, mm-hmm. how do I know it's you coming? You're in politics. You're in this whole arena. How um, how how do you create some type of um, tr- trust um, and integrity so that the next generation generation can at least start saying, "Oh yeah, this guy he he did what he said he's going to do, and he stuck to his word." Yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot going on right now um, in the, on in the democratic spectrum. Yes. That is, um, you know, <coughs> it, it's kind of like, um, how could I put it? Uh, I I can understand the frustration because I see certain things. I mean, I see a lot of things, but certain things I, I look at and I say, well, you know. At some point in time, we have to um, we have to get back to an, a level of integrity mm-hmm. and a level of honesty and understanding that that to where we can be trusted. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because the, when some people shut down automatically when you <laughs> when you start talking about politics mm-hmm. because of the frustration, right. and sometimes because they don't really understand how things work. Right. But it, it's 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 crazy because uh, politics has become uh, a narrative of misunderstanding mm-hmm. to the point where some people don't even want to know that they, they're just so shell shocked. They're like, man, 
we don't we're not even trying to give anybody a chance anymore because we've been so you know we've been so burned and so forsaken and i understand it because you know if you you look at years of channeling into the same party mm-hmm. that really hasn't done anything for you you know and this is what i'm hearing from a lot of people right and let me tell you i, I can agree in, in, in to a certain point <coughs> um but then it's like okay what 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 else is there you, you see what i'm saying if you look at the look at the original party the republican party mm-hmm. you know um that was that was our party mm-hmm. you know and a lot of people don't even know this or, or, or go back you know far enough to to, to look at that, the history behind you know the democratic and a pop and a, and a, and a republican shift mm-hmm. you know um around the kennedy era yes you know what i'm saying and because i remember specifically uh when malcolm x was speaking against democrats right and when i, I heard that i'm like whoa oh yeah yeah that, and was that like, made that made me go back and find out what he, what uh, exactly he was referring to right and at that time he was referring to the total opposition mm-hmm. like we were on the other side like everything got switched around around that time yes. and a lot of people don't really know the origin of that switch mm-hmm. or, or when it happened Nope. You know what I'm saying? So we, all we know is, oh, yeah, we're Democrats. But do you know the history of Democrats? Yes. Do you know that yeah. Democrats we were... We were in Republic, uh, believe it or not. It, it, at some point, it got changed. I forgot what year it was. But we were all. Yeah. Yeah, and that's you know, why you, yeah. Yeah. So my thing is this. Um, as an activist, hmm. I've learned to really deal more with accountability. Hmm. I've learned to deal more with... Um, holding those accountable that we put in office mm. on, on every level um, mm. to the point now where I'm actually working on something right now called called, called the accountability factor. Mm. Like and that. this right here uh, is like literally if in your campaign you mentioned you're going to do something. Right. Okay. We're going to break that down. Mm-hmm. We're going to come back around in about six months mm-hmm. and see how that's going. Right. We want, we want, we want progress reports now. Mm. And you know, not to be petty, but this is the kind of way you have to micromanage situations sometimes in order to get results. Yes. You, yes. you know, it's very sad that we would even have to do this. But this yeah. is what it's come down to. But it's we're the only group that we has to have it done for. That's the catcher. That's the kicker. Exactly. You, <laughs> you know, so uh, until people can prove that they are uh, trustworthy and, and, and able to be, you know, um, trusted and relied on, these are the kind of measures that we're going to have to take. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all the way down to the very last compound. Sometimes so, this, this, you know, it's, it's sad once again, but this is just what it takes. You know, we're, and I'm always looking for <coughs> other strategic uh, methods of, of operation that, you know, can get us what we, what we deserve out of it. I mean, th- there's, if you look at it, uh, I, I don't know when, when Biden sent, <laughs> Biden said something about crack pipes, right? Oh, yes. And now, during Black History Month, of all months, he <laughs> okay. comes out with this whole clean crack pipe initiative. And some people just lost it because they didn't understand what he was trying to do. What he was really trying to do was, was make a comparison between the clean needle program. I know what he was trying to do, and I didn't agree with it. But and I, and it still doesn't, it's still, at the end of the day, it, it still has no bearings on that much money mm-hmm. 
going into anything dealing with crack pipes. Mm -hmm. Okay, like what 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 kind of um, what kind of ambition does a crackhead have now to even quit smoking crack if you're providing clean crack pipes for him? Not to mention the fifty thousand dollars student loans. You could have at least said, you know what, maybe I can sneak in a reparations here and forgive some uh, student loans from from African Americans who make under a certain amount of money or something. I don't know, I'm making that up. He, he totally bypassed the whole thing and gave out crack rates instead. So for for me, yeah. I was kind of done. I was totally well. I've been done with him since Afghanistan, but that's not. I mean, since uh, um, uh, wherever he went and left our left everything. <laughs> <laughs> He's a mess. Yeah. I give up at this point. Uh, but I just, uh, I know for me, and I, I can imagine the person who doesn't understand politics, doesn't know anything about this stuff. I know why they gave up. I totally, totally see it. And it's yeah. going to take a, a, a brilliant group like yourself and other young people that coming up and showing like, yeah, okay, we mean business. We're, we're here for the people. We get paid by your taxes. And we're going to work for every penny. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to make sure the people get what they're supposed to in their communities. That's when that happens. Maybe it'll shift, but right now it's just it's just, it's crazy. I'm lucky I live in a community where you know we just so happen to get everything because it's it's Bedford. <laughs> you know how that well, goes. You know, let me tell you, this is one of the reasons why you know I, I could have done you know ran for office on a whole nother uh, level and 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 get, gone to D.C. or or Albany, right? But I wanted to really you know work more on the ground and closer to my community that, you know, than anything. And I'm always being encouraged to go for higher office, but right. I'm like, yo, there's so much work we need to do right here, right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not even really worried about over there right now because we still have work to do right here. Right. You know, and I'm always encouraging people to get more involved in local, you know, politics, local community, local activism mm-hmm. in order to, cause people, you know, when I was, uh, on stage with Reverend Sharpton, you know, every every week for five years, mm-hmm. people would so many people would come to me like, "Yo, I wanna I wanna help. I wanna I wanna you know be involved. I wanna get down with you guys." And I'm like, "Okay, cool. That ambition is great. Right. But you should go back to your community to start. Mm-hmm. Don't start. Well, we're 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 okay right here. We're like we we got feet on the ground right here. Mm-hmm. But in your community, you don't have that." You, you see what I'm saying? And a lot of times that's why they leave where they have to come to where things are looking better, things are safer. No, I always well, encourage people to go back to your community and right. start there. Because if everybody de- did that, it would expand out and we would co- we would eventually cover all grounds. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's true. So, you that's know, true. That's, that's the advice I give a lot of people who want to get active. Mm-hmm. Activate right where you are, right where you're from. That's That's a good point. Um, but I, I, I think I was in Brooklyn and I came back, uh, but I came up here as a, as a unofficially adopted kid. So that's how I came up here. Um, I'm okay. from Bed-Stuy originally. Um, and I tried to go back to Bed-Stuy, but Bed-Stuy didn't want me. And then that's when all the shootings were taking place in the, in the nineties, I think it was eighties. Well, eighties was pretty good. Eighties was pretty good, but, uh, about the nineties, uh, and then um, 2000, I forgot what year, 2000 something, I forgot, but it started getting bad again. So I left cause I, I just wasn't going to put my kids on a bus nowhere. Not my gorgeous girls. Mm-mm. That was not going to happen. So that was really the real only reason why, because I, I know whatever you don't know by third grade, you could be done pretty much. So yeah, uh, with, yeah. with that being known, why would I have to pay for a private school? And they got the best one right here. You got to pay a lot of taxes, but 
I'm, I'm with it. So one day, I hope one day I'll be able to go back because uh, Brooklyn still always will be my favorite uh, borough. It always, yeah. I don't know why, something about it. Um, um, so um, <clears throat> what else? Yeah, when, uh, when I say, I don't, I don't mean like go back. I mean, wherever you are, right. start right there. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So you mean do something with, with what you have and what your yeah. skills are. Right, right there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And that's, um, you know, <clears throat> that's how we eventually um, get things done, right? Is by doing your share, whatever that is. Because uh, some things you're good at and some things I'm good at. And, um, and, and that's why it's important for each of us to find what that is. Because I, I agree with that 100%. You know, if you're a teacher, you can tutor for kids. If you're, you know, if my neighborhood's bad. Um, there's so many elements to that. Um, uh, so many elements of it. It's just uh, hard right now for everybody uh, after this pandemic to focus on one thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, what what do you say to those who who see, you know, all the because um, these are just they're they're stereotypes, so, so sort of. But I've had people ask me, you know, um, about these questions. So it's great whenever I get any kind of. Anybody in any kind of office at all, I'm always asking them just little mm-hmm. questions here and there, see where uh, their ears to the street, as they say. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you say um, <clears throat> to all those um, who see, um, you know, black politicians uh, making, uh, we call it lots of taxpayer money, but they never show up for our young people, in particularly in high crime areas. Some do, like with jobs, college or trade school, um, help, help with entre- entrepreneurial classes, um, um, anything that says, um, hey, we have not abandoned you, we're here and we see you and we're going to build and we're, we're going to get you um, help so that you won't feel so stuck in a corner that you have to turn to these gangs and turn to these shootings and turn to these things because you don't have the structure at home and you have no options in your community. You know, um, mm-hmm. what do you say to that? Have you heard that at all? Yeah, yeah, I've heard that for years. Um, and in the last couple of years, I've seen a lot of uh, I've seen a lot of those things changing, mm-hmm. um, and, and and for the better. And when I say that, uh, <coughs> I'll give you a perfect example. There's a, a assemblyman named Al Taylor. Okay. Uh, this guy's incredible, man. He's 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 done some amazing work in Harlem, uh, in 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 Manhattan, you know. Period. He's this guy. And he's only one of a few that I know that are really out here that are asking, what do you need, that are on the front line. I'm, whenever we have a protest, a march, uh, a rally, he's, he's always there, man. And he has an amazing ability to connect with the youth, uh, something I can't say about a lot of politicians. Right. And when I saw the youth respond to him mm. for the first time, what, what happened was, I, I heard like a bunch of, you know, you could hear people dancing and I turned around and it's like about 10 kids dancing and he's right in the middle. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's something that I'll tell, you know, and I'm like, I'm just watching them and I'm like, wow, this is the kind of interaction that we need, right. you know? And, you know, like I said, this is a case in point, but not, you know, not to say that everything is, is everything is all gravy because it's definitely not. Right. But, you know, this is one of the things that really gave me hope when it came to, you know, Black politicians owning up to their, you know, um, word, and be and being held accountable for their actions, you know, um, and like I said, unfortunately, it doesn't happen enough. But right. I think that uh, once people start to experience change in a good way, 
they mm -hmm. start to get accustomed to it and then they're not going to settle for anything less moving forward mm. you, you see what i'm saying mm. so and it, it is and even with the presidency it's, it's kind of crazy because when obama was in office everybody's like yeah then trump comes in we're like oh my god who we got next you know now biden is doing this crazy stuff so that's kind of like roller coaster right there right but um i think we got much better prospects on a local level mm -hmm. and we're getting to a point where we're normalizing accountability. Right. You know what I'm saying? All it takes is a couple of good guys to set the standard mm -hmm. for people to say, okay, this is what we got and this is what we're keeping. Right. And whenever we, and whenever this falls off, whoa, 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 get that, get that back on track. We got to right. nip it in, like my father's a nip it in the bud. Right. You know, when we got something good going on here, let's mm -hmm. keep it like this. Right. Or, if, or the closer we can get to this, Let's keep it that way and then and then take it up a notch. But we got to have a, a level standard that we identify with as a, 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 a success level in progress. Right. You know what I'm saying? <coughs> so now this is what we need. Okay. We got to maintain this. And whenever we can't get that, we we, we, we got to put, put the foot down, mm -hmm. call people out right. and say, yo, you got to straighten up, step it up you know we're 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 and we got to look at the yeah we're, we're the taxpayers right our taxpayer dollar is paying for all this right you see what i'm saying e even when it comes down to nypd or your local police your taxpayer payer dollar pays their salary right so and so. let me tell you a lot of people police officers don't like to hear that but it's it's, it's real it's true yes you know that infrastructure all that stuff comes out of, out of your pocket if you're a taxpayer right absolutely you know? So you have the right to demand services. You have the right to demand accountability. You have the right to de to demand everything that you deserve. Now, now we're going back to, you know, civil rights. Right. We're going back to, you know, our rights as human beings. Right. You know, uh, the pursuit of happiness. All of this stuff is 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 what we deserve. Right. You know, the right to be protected. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the guy got shot over here in the projects, mm -hmm. and. The crazy part was the projects, uh, the representative for nature said, oh, it was his fault. He knew this was a dangerous area. I said, what? Wow. Okay. First of all, <clears throat> this person was paying taxes in the projects. You guys don't have the proper cameras up for security. Don't yep. have any security on site mm -hmm. at all. And now you're yep. going to blame a, a fault of, of no security on your part that's supposed to be provided because part of your obligation Mm -hmm. as a, a landlord right is 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 a safety obligation too yes safety dwelling yep you see what i'm saying in yep. a lot of cases people think oh well you, you you're paying to live s safely right accommodably uh, right. uh uh in, in, a, in, in a healthy way yeah you know in a way where my civil rights are not violated right these are all things that are in that lease too yes you, yes. you see what i'm saying mm -hmm. so that yeah you know I, and i don't think that a lot of people really you know i was talking to a friend of mine the other day and, and he's like you know he's a teacher he gets so mad when a lot of these parents don't come to the parent teacher meetings and a lot of them are not really so i started i said listen just imagine you're a single black mother mm -hmm. with two jobs mm -hmm. and you and you're taking online classes at the same time mm -hmm. i've been there <laughs> been there already you know, like that right there is such a heavy load. Mm 
mm-hmm. to where I honestly don't think that there's any parent out here that doesn't want to be more active or proactive in their child's life, school, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you have a load like that sometimes, and I and you know, I've talked to so many mothers, especially single black mothers, about this, and I'm like, wow, you know, I do a lot, but your load is so heavy. Right. You know, and we need more resources to be able to balance that out too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it, it, higher wages, you know, some some of this definitely student loan forgiveness. Definitely. You know, there's so many things that that we're pushing for that could lighten that load. Yeah. You know, to help some of these single black mothers and and help some of these black families, you know, to get back on track. A lot of families are one paycheck away from getting evicted. Yep. In a lot of cases. You know, people don't look at that. They, you know, it's it's so easy to look at the bad aspect of a of a situation that you don't even know all all you know the whole story about. Right. You know, sometimes you have no idea what people are going through and how bad they're struggling and suffering. But let me tell you something: no child de- deserves to be to be uh, living in a shelter. Mm-hmm. That right there, man, breaks my heart. I've 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 been to some of these shelters, man. Every time I see a kid, I, I say, man. You know, um, I don't definitely don't advocate for taking children away from the parents um, if 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 we don't have to. But you know, I, I hate to see children. Just look at the the self esteem level that a child experiences mm-hmm. waking up in a shelter every mm-hmm. every morning, mm-hmm. going to school, not having, you know. Not even so much of an abundance, but it, it, but the the bare minimum. In in a lot of cases, you know, these are things that I'm looking at and strategizing on how what we can do to, you know, straighten these situations out. Yes. And you know, the crazy part is, there's enough money. Right. Oh, I know there is. There's lots of money. There's enough. <laughs> and guess what? On a homelessness level, there's enough housing. I know. I know. Like. When I did the math on the man, right now there's about sixty thousand empty nitro apartments right now in in the five boroughs. That's sinful. Absolutely. Sixty thousand. I remember. Okay. What what's going but what you gotta understand is this. Sorry. The number of homeless people that are in New York City every year mm-hmm. is the amount of money which the, the uh which uh, that that situation is based. So basically, if say you got fifty thousand homeless people, right? There's a budget that goes out to accommodate that fifty thousand people. Okay. Okay. Now, if, if it shrinks down to thirty thousand, mm-hmm. that's going to be less money. So, I know this sounds crazy, but all of that money doesn't always go toward the homeless. No, we already know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know, I know how budgets work. <laughs> <laughs> I ran so, an <laughs> in order to get more money, you got to have more, more homeless people. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So in a lot of cases, the resources and, and the solutions for them aren't really such a uh, an immediate need. Although I'm not saying that they're totally neglecting the situation. Mm-hmm. There are moving parts in, in equations like this mm. that allow people and things to fall through cracks you see what i'm saying um and and, you know i and i my guy uh good friend of mine he he came up with a 
uh, 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 he called it the Homeless Manifesto. Uh -huh. Oh, and it was a pretty pretty good plan that he put together. And I'm like, yo, this is this could this could this could work, you know. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, I think that the homeless thing mm -hmm. is an ongoing situation that once again has moving parts, has mm -hmm. people in in between. See, that's another thing. There's so many people in these equations that are in between the solution, that are in between progress. And sometimes mm -hmm. they stagnate the process. Sometimes they halt, you know, people that could be helped. Right. And they hinder. Right. And I'm going to tell you, I've seen this so many times. Wow. And I've confronted some of these people like, yo, what are you doing? Right. You know, you could, you could help right. if you really wanted to. Right. Oh, I'm just following orders. I right. hate that. Right. I hate that. Right. Because if you're in a position to to accommodate or make change on any level, by all means you have to you have to do that. It's your obligation. Mm -hmm. Okay? Not only as a human being, but as someone in position of authority, you know, <coughs> sometimes you have to might have to, you know, uh get get uh get confirmation or whatever, but you should take the initiative to do anything that you can to help others. Yes, and that—that's you know, yeah, that's so crucial uh, because there are many people who have the power of the pen, and they're sitting on the pen saying, "Yeah, uh, we'll just let this uh, do this and do that." And it's like, what are you waiting for? I'm confused. I, I've I've been blessed myself um, years ago, uh, where where an organization helped me, um, and they had the power of the pen, and they used it, uh, and that's on why what I'm not homeless. Let's say you know, I'm well. It's been years ago, but at that time, that that helped me. Literally, uh, it's a long story short. I'm a foster youth, aged out of foster care, blah, 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 long story short. Um, but I was one of those people that needed the power of the pen. And I've had a couple of people use it, actually. I've been very blessed. And I wish they did it for more people because it's so it makes no sense when you have a, a whole building and no one's in it. But but then you'll take a family in a shelter. I was staying in a shelter once. They were paying $10,000. It was a house, five women. Ten no is it fifty thousand fifty thousand dollars a month um for five women ten thousand each a month so mm -hmm. you didn't want to get them an apartment but you get paying ten thousand dollars a month what that makes yeah. no sense. that makes no sense that should be against the law and that those are the little legalities that have to be changed and someone has to figure out legally how can we snip this down like yeah yeah cut. No, homelessness for families at least in half in like five minutes mm -hmm. <laughs> literally i believe i believe it five minutes as soon as the papers get signed it's going to be a whole because i know i know foster kids right now who are waiting i know people that are legitimately you know have mental illness and they're waiting and people that have real legit you know legit um uh, issues that could really really just use that help in that that category let me find a secure place first then i'll work on my mental then i'll work on my stability then i'll work on my dreams and my careers and next i'll be able to get back you know what i'm saying like you yeah. can't have anything if you don't have a place to lay your head because i've been homeless before i know that that looks like yeah yeah i'm blessed i'm so blessed that the people in the street taught me so much and i i gotta say it was the best blessing in a weird way ever um because um i learned so much about people you know, and it helped me in my counseling career later. So it was a good thing, but it's just, you know, you, you got to help the people because, because the bottom line is if they're not helped, they turn into all these wacko people that we have going in malls now, you know what I'm yeah. saying? That's yeah. what you, 
and they, and some people say no, that's a different uh, group. No, there are people who are having touched uh, and not by angels, and they didn't get the help addressed that they need with their trauma from childhood. So they're they're just running rampant, you know. And then you got other people who are on drugs, and then you got the hum- there's three different things going on here, but some are all meshed together. So yeah. if you don't start addressing it, um, I believe it's going to eat us alive. Literally. Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna it's gonna boil over yes. at a certain point. And you know, a lot of these programs and these services are really supposed to be counteractive, you know, in in a lot of cases to prevent this from happening. Mm. But then what happens is these services a lot of times don't kick in or not available until after. And that's when it costs more money. Yep. You, you know what I'm saying? That's when the stakes are even higher. So yep. I'm always like, yo, hold on. We can get them right now. Before, right. Say, for instance, right, if it, it's, it's actually, if, you know, uh, if somebody's about to get evicted right now, right. And, they, and say they go to HR, human right. resources, and they try to get a one-shot deal, right. they're going to assess this whole situation to make sure, okay, if we, give them, if we give her the money, she'll be able to hit the ground running and can continue staying right. above waters. Or they'll say, you know what? Um, she owes this much money, but she's not working right now. What's going to happen next month? How's she going to, you know? Right, that's what they said. You know, and I understand that part. But the thing is this. There are a lot of people who just literally need a little bit of help to get to help them stay on track. Right. Or get back on track. Those mm-hmm. people are the ones who are at, at risk because if they fall through the cracks, it's going to cost double to deal with them outside of their their dwelling, their apartment, their house, wherever they just lost. Yes. Now, now it's going to cost double. Just like what happened with you with the ten thousand, you know, same situation. It's double $10, now. Dollars. I was like ten thousand dollars. Yeah, good. yeah. It's and like, I, it's had, like... I found the room for cheaper, but they're like, no, we're not going to pay for that. I was like, wow. So you won't pay for six hundred a month, and I'm willing to cram myself in some place. But you want to pay for ten grand? All right, that's what you want to do. It's kind of stupid. Uh, but you, you, you could tell the, the kickback on that is, is crazy too. <laughs> oh, the kickback! The guy, this guy here in this town, he, in the next town he owns, you can tell all his houses they all have red doors, and he gets something like fifty grand per shelter. Uh, they call it a shelter. It's not a shelter. It's a house. Beautiful yeah, house. Yeah. Uh, so they, you know, it's a little fancy. They call it whatever. Uh, but this guy is, I mean, he he's paid. That's all I can tell you. Paid, paid wow. beyond paid. But the best part for him is. Not only does he have his whole, his whole family, one does construction, electronic, electronic, um, electron, uh, you know, the wall wiring, plumbing. Yeah. Somebody else does a flooring. So, I mean, they got it on lock, everything. So pretty much, give me the contract. I got this. <laughs> I got it done. Wow. I mean, that's just like heaven. So these, a lot of people have been eating off of homeless, um, poor people, and a lot of them are minorities. I hate to say that that we're in these places that I've been I've been seeing from counseling and from as a, a former person. Um, and it's crazy if you see the people that's getting the money. It's it's all to me. It's all a hustle. That's my that's my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean the uh, hustle helps me have a place over my head, but um, but it's just a hustle. It's all a hustle, and and hopefully, people like you uh, will, and and others will start saying, okay, we got to start enacting some some laws so that these things, people idling for seven years in a shelter. That that's unacceptable. Um, a shelter is, is really a place of very temporary, you know. It's like a holdover until you can, you know. But I've seen people holding over, you know. Uh, let me tell you, 
uh, a good friend of mine, um, he's an actor, right? And, you know, he fell on some hard times. Mm-hmm. And um, he eventually had to go to a shelter, right? Mm-hmm. He shows up at the shelter in a suit, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> the lady at the front desk, she said, you know, um, she asked him, she said, are, she said, are you an actor? He said, yeah, how'd you know? He said, she said, okay, hold on one second. So she went and made a phone call. And she said, um, fill out these. She he filled out the form. And then he said, oh, she said, okay, uh, a, a car is coming to get you. And I'm like, what? And he said about 15 minutes later, a town car came and picked him up. And drove him down to Midtown to a, a, a skyscraper. And the skyscraper was four floors in the middle of the of the building that were owned by uh, a, an organization that was created by a doctor mm. who had who had a bunch of friends who were who were like um, actors who you know couldn't who were just like struggling. Right. And he just said he said he met some amazing people who wanted to be actors, and they just it, it was hard finding gigs. And he just saw these people struggling. He said he wanted to help them, so he created this organization wow. was specifically for out of work actors mm. who were homeless. Get out. Yeah, I, I get you. I get you the name of the place, yeah, but let me please. tell you, when my friend told me about this whole, he said it was like a dream come true. That's crazy. That is he so gets, good because he, he deserved that. He gets there. This lady meets him in the lobby mm-hmm. and she she brings him up to, I forgot what floor it was, but it was four floors in the middle of this building that they were all blocked off for these actors. Mm-hmm. They had their own uh, suite. <coughs> they had uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, breakfast, lunch, and dinner catered. What? They had... Uh, the uh, cleaners would, would clean their clothes. No way! This is awesome. <laughs> no, it was they 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 paid for college, gym, <coughs> any expenses that they had were paid for by this organization. Wow. You know, I mean, my guy said he didn't even want to leave. I, will, yeah. I, don't, I was just saying, I'm about to go home. With I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm going and back I'm like, back. wow, this that's incredible. You know, um, and I did some research on this organization, man. It, it was. I, like I said, I'll, I'll get you the, the, the. I'd like to know because that that's just that that's beautiful because sometimes you know people just need like especially actors sometimes they just had to work they didn't get work for like you know four months especially during the pandemic a lot oh, of people I, I can't even imagine what happened with them so luckily was, there was places like e, uh, EAG hopefully I said their name right uh, actors uh, oh gosh I can't say the name right EAG I think it's called um, you know where they help feed uh, uh, um, actors. During the pandemic, or if you need your rent paid or something like that, they help with things like that. Oh, uh, uh um. Yeah, it's I I had it somewhere. They, they oh, do actors. I forgot the name. I'll I'll think of it. But uh, but they're awesome. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they're awesome out of Manhattan. They're awesome. Um, but that's the kind of stuff people. Some people just need. I mean, that's the thing. If we start thinking like, okay, what is the little need now, so we don't have to get the big one later. That's just yeah. so simple. It's so simple. And all those actors that are in those apartments, they're gonna—they're not gonna forget that moment. They're not gonna forget that trading places moment. You know where they're like they were actually treated like they were already A-listers. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. So when now when they really become A-listers, they're never gonna forget that. And and they and those actors donate money back to this 
organization. Exactly. Exactly. That's you know? each, one, each one. That's what it's about. That's exactly what it's about. So, wow. Thank you for that. That's, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to find out the name of that one. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I'll get it to you. Yeah, please, for sure. So tell us about, um, let's see, you, so you got your activism, justice, uh, how you got into fighting for justice. Okay, so, uh, well, I always had the spirit uh, yes. of, of doing it, mm -hmm. of getting into it. Uh, my father, mm -hmm. he was the president of our block association when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And being, you know, watching him, you know, deal with the community, deal with the mayor, deal with politicians and even local <laughs> politics uh, back then, you know, this is back in, in Mount Vernon. Mm -hmm. um, I remember specifically, there was a guy by the name of Ronald Blackwood mm. who ran for mayor of Mount Vernon. Right. And he got elected and became the first black mayor in New York state history ever. Mm. And I was, I was a part of his street team. You know, so I was part of history in a sense. I didn't know back then, but wow. you know, we we did a great job. You know, making sure that everybody knew that there was a black man running for mayor. Wow. You know, um, it was amazing. It was just great, a great time. Mm -hmm. And once that happened, you know, my, uh, Mayor Ronald Blackwood really um, looked, looked at my father and mother as, as people who, who helped his campaign. And he's like, yo, whatever you guys need. And my father said, well, what I need is we need to deal with this, you know, drug issue, <laughs> you know. And he's like, yo, he introduced my father to the police commissioner. And, and, and from there, it was like a lot of things changed, you know. <coughs> and I saw my father really progressive with it, active. And I'm like, wow. You know, and see, the thing was, before all that, my father was a Black Panther. Wow. Back in the back in the uh, late '60s, early '70s, he was a Black Panther in in Brooklyn. Wow! You come and from so and he he also got shot by a police officer. What? No. In way. the head of all places. Yeah. What? No way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he survived. Well, what happened was the bullet, like, it it grazed him, but it was like a deep graze to where it knocked him out. Okay. You know, wow. but still, that's like still traumatic. You know. Yeah. And wow. um, after Ooh. that, he realized, okay, you know, <laughs> this is real, you know. Right. And uh, he ended up, they, they sent him to Rikers Island, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, him and a bunch of other Panthers at the time. Mm -hmm. While he was on Rikers Island, he's, he's, uh, they put him in the kitchen. <laughs> and believe it or not, that was the beginning of his culinary career. Really? Because when he got out of, when he, he beat the case, but it was a whole process. They just, you know, any political prisons, they, they put them in there through the I worst, know. you know. I know. So once he got out of there, he ended up uh, get, uh, getting a job as the personal chef for Peg Leg Bates. <laughs> Peg Leg Bates? <coughs> yeah. The world famous Cotton Club dancer that had one leg. He was like a world famous guy. Wow. Uh, yo, check him out. Yeah. He had, he had a resort up in upstate New York that was real famous, too, because it's one of the few places black people could go, you know, and have a good time without dealing with racism back then. Mm -hmm. But um, that right there gave him like a taste of, you know, success mm -hmm. outside of just fighting all the time. But, you know, and um, he ended up uh, going to college and uh, getting a degree in culinary arts, mm -hmm. going on to become one of the highest paid uh, black chefs in the United States. Wow. 
who also um, was one of the top chefs at Tavern on the Green. I remember Tavern on the Green. I used to love it. I used to live right outside there. It's 120 West 60th Street. Yep. My Same. father was one of the head chefs there. Oh, I used to love that place. Um, hold on. Oh. Good then he ended up going to uh, the Plaza Hotel. Oh. Uh, Home Alone. Some <laughs> people might remember that. <laughs> Home Alone, um, yeah. Then he got so big that he they sent him out to Las Vegas, uh, and he became the head chef at um, MGM Grand Casino. Oh, wow. And uh, hold on. Let's plug this charger in here. Wow. So he taught himself all that. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He so, taught so and, I'm, and uh, like I said, it started. Uh, I, I, I mean, to go too crazy with that, but um, <laughs> when, when he would say, where, where, did, where did I start? Uh -huh. I started watching him, mm -hmm. you know, being a part of that that particular campaign, which really motivated me to want to um, learn more about um, political campaigns and political structure, mm -hmm. uh, polit and, and government and politics and, and all that. I really wanted to learn more about that. Um, and then I went through years of being um, exposed to it. Sometimes active, sometimes not. Mm -hmm. what, and, and one of the things that happened to me, it happens to a lot of other people, is you think that things can't happen to you sometimes. Right. And then when they do, that's like your reality. And like, wow, this is real. Mm -hmm. um, I, was a, I was a victim of police brutality myself. Right. Tell us about and that. It was, oh, man. Like I said, I, this was one of the few days I didn't have my suit on. I was like, I was dressed down. I was actually going to a block party. Okay. Um, a good friend of mine invited me to, you know, and, you know, I had a great time. And leaving the block party, um, these three police officers approached me. Oh, gosh. And when they approached me, you know, one of them asked me, they said, they said, they said yo, we, we saw you drinking a, drinking a beer. Oh, God. Help and I'm me. like, what? You saw me drinking a beer? Mm -mm. They said, yeah. I said, well, if you saw me drinking a beer mm. from wherever you were to where you are now, either I would have a beer in my hand or you would have seen me throw the bottle. Mm. You know, and so it's technically, you know. And so they kept on. So now I'm looking at the, the setup. Mm. It's two, two white rookie cops mm. and, a, and a black officer that you can tell is like the senior officer. Yeah. Now, Cops usually patrol in twos. If it's more than two, then 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 it's a situation like this where mm. one uh, a superior officer is training these guys, or showing them, you know, around the neighborhood, around the beat. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching body language, and I'm seeing that the black officer's superior, and, and he's more aggressive. Mm. And um, so I said, "Listen, first of all, I don't even drink beer, and I wouldn't be stupid enough to do it." on the streets of Harlem <laughs> in broad daylight. Right. You know, so I, I thought, I really thought they were just playing. I didn't, I, you know. So this the black cop, he's kept getting more aggressive. And I'm like, okay, you know what? If you want to be technical about this whole situation, mm -hmm. if I was drinking a beer right now in your face, there's only two things you could legally do to me. Right. You could ask me to pour it out or you could write me a $50 ticket. Mm. And I said, so you wouldn't even be able to arrest me if even if I was drinking a beer in your face. Right. 
So now you don't even see the beer bottle you're talking about. And, you know, so later on, my, 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 my attorney told me, don't ever tell a police officer that they can't arrest you. I know. That's because that's when they'll make a point. They did it to me. They'll make a point to do it. Ever, ever don't. I mean, even if you know, like I did, mm -hmm. they said, still, don't ever say it. So I said it, not knowing. <laughs> ah. So I said, well, you couldn't you couldn't arrest me if you wanted to. He said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah. So he pulled out his handcuffs and he grabbed my wrist. I pulled back. I said, hold on. Why am I being arrested? <laughs> he didn't say anything, right? So I said, okay. Now, you really can't arrest me unless you can tell me why I'm being arrested. You have to tell me that. So he grabbed my, my arm again, and I pulled back the second time. He said, resisting arrest. Yep. That's the first I said, thing. okay. Hold on. You can't go from A to C without B. Mm. B being substantiating your initial approach. You did not approach me for resisting arrest. You approached me about an open container that you still can't find. Now, I embarrassed him when I said that, and the two white rookie officers looked at him like, whoa. And he just, he was so mad at that point that he just literally pushed me up against the wall. When that happened, I, when I bounced off the wall, he already had to stick out. Oh, and God. It was just like a Rodney King session. Oh, are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, and like I, like I said, I got beat with a Billy stick, Billy club too, because uh, of some dumb lady. Period. That's it. They, no, let me tell you that it, it was it was like wow. it was so crazy to where oh, I had on a um I had on a submarine watch. Mm -hmm. Now, what it takes to break the glass on a submarine watch, right, is more pounds of pressure than it actually takes to break a human bone. Yeah. Matter of fact, it only takes 12 pounds of pressure to break a human bone. Jesus. And the submarine watch has to withstand like a lot of pressure underwater. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, right. and and that, that crystal on the submarine watch is broken. And that was one of my, uh, my uh, big pieces of evidence, too. Wow. You know. <laughs> so, you know, long story short, oh, the, the Sergeant came to the scene, mm -hmm. and uh, he's going through my wallet. And he asked them if they saw my wallet. They said, "Oh no." He said, "Yeah, you might want to check this out." <laughs> uh -oh. So he shows them my my uh, military ID, oh god, my NAACP card, my National Action Network card. And you're a veteran. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I can't. I can't. I my New York, my New York uh, Lawyers Association card. Oh my! My Screen Actors Guild card, my—I uh, mean, every my 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 uncle's lieutenant badge. <laughs> Stop playing! Stop playing! They are so stupid. I'm sorry. Some people just not—they don't think. They just their ego gets in the way for some people, and this—that's it. I had the same thing happen to me. The female cop, because only she told me this because you just. You stood, um, not stood me up, you know, when you make them look bad because it was all men. Uh, they yeah. were all macho men, you officers. So they, I heard them tell, say, plotting in the other room saying, well, I don't care. You just, uh, you better put her down for something, anything. You can't just let her go. And she said, yeah, but she, I mean, this is that's clearly something's wrong. I mean, like, and I said, and they were like, well, run her prints, run her prints. You got to find something. You can't tell me she doesn't have nothing. 
I was like, there won't be anything. I'm yelling through the, through the thing because I can hear everything they're saying. I said, you'll find Mother Teresa in my fingerprints. And he was like, huh, <laughs> we hear that all the time. I said, really? This time I really meant it. And so he, when he ran it, he, he went, you hear, oh, you hear total silence. They're like, what? And he's like, she's right. It's like Mother Teresa. I was like, I told you. All I do is help people. And and I mean, that's pretty much my track record. I, I can tell you anything I've ever done bad in my life, if I, if I ever done anything bad. Um, but that's about it. What do you, what do you, um, you're not going to find nothing. I'm not a criminal. I've never committed a crime. I don't do, that's not, I help people not be criminals. That's what I used to do as counseling. You know, they didn't yeah. get it. They didn't get it. They were, her ego arrested me and beat me up because the guys were now watching like, oh, you did that. You, oh, you got to finish it through. So now guess what you got to do? Find the charge. What charge could there be? Resisting arrest. And, and the best part is mm -hmm. I was right over a camera. <laughs> yeah. And let me tell you, uh, I, I had they got me for resisting arrest and open container, right? Open container. Well, oh. well, my lawyer came. He, to see me he said oh he said yeah this came from evidence i'm like evidence for what he said they just showed me the beer bottle i said oh they found a beer bottle i said okay so um tell the district attorney mm -hmm. if he finds one of my fingerprints on that bottle i'll take the charge mm -hmm. and he went back and he said yo they threw out the bottle i said yeah of course <laughs> that's not my bottle they, right. they couldn't find my fingerprints on that bottle not. You know what I'm saying? So he told me, he said, wow, nobody's ever I've never seen nobody challenge an open container before. You know? But I'm like, yo, listen, I'm not taking nothing. Yeah, so um, now that that was thrown out, I said, the only thing left was resisting arrest. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's when I found out that you could get 12 years on, 12 months on Rikers Island for resisting arrest. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, if they really, 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 really want to push it, uh, it's kind of, ridiculous. That is so sinful. I, I, I know. So, I mean, if it's really resisting, that's fine. But for you to blatantly just make it up and there's proof for the camera, it's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what saved me. And then the best part was I was going to go to the Supreme Court and file civil liberty. I mean, everything because everything was violent. Every they didn't tell me why they were arresting me. They didn't tell me they were cops. They had on gray pants and white shirts. I was like, "Who are you?" Oh, come with us now. Come with us now. Come with us now. I was like, "Come with you where?" Oh, oh hold Who on. They didn't announce themselves. No, as they didn't announce myself. Nothing. And then the oh. manager came out and said, "And you know, it's this is the irony of it. I was going to get help because um, I had uh, three lots removed from here. So here I am." Um, already traumatized, thinking I'm going to die. Uh, and now I got this trauma because the lady behind the bulletproof uh, screen screamed um, when she heard me tell a joke to the lady on the line. There's like 85 people on the line. It was early in the morning. And she heard me tell a joke that they don't have pens there. <laughs> and so I said a curse word with the pen. She heard the curse word. And I swear, it's a bulletproof glass. How did she hear this curse? You know what she says? Cursor, cursor, so loud, pointing to me only. So they came charging in. And just get, get on the ground, get on the ground, get on the ground. I said, oh my God, who are you? I said, like, what is this? And they, everyone was like, I don't know what they what they want you on the ground for. What's wrong? And the lady, because she was pointing at me, they, oh my God, they beat me like a runaway slave. I'm not kidding. With the billy club, the whole nine. It was hard. It was the most traumatizing thing as a taxpayer I've ever experienced in my entire life. I'm not telling you. I When I tell you I felt like a slave, I felt like a slave. I'm not kidding. Whatever that looks like, that that's probably what it looked like. They were trying to hogtie me. 
Here I was, I'm a size, I was a size six or eight. That's not even eight. I think I was like size six then. They're trying to hog tie me, a little old thing who has no weapons, nothing. I told them I'm a Quaker. I'm a Quaker. I don't believe in violence. They didn't care. It wasn't until we got to court that the judge saw the Quakers protesting and said, oh, who's this? And that's when they were like, uh-oh, we think we made a mistake. Uh, you think? Because uh, <laughs> I'm very, I can be loud and advocate for myself, but I would never yeah. put my hands on you unless I saw you trying to hurt another person or hurt me or my family. You know what I'm saying? That's it. That's all. And most Quakers wouldn't even do that. But that's the only time my Quaker would come up. If I saw someone trying to hurt you right now and I knew I could do something to prevent it, I probably would because I'm not going to stand by and watch an atrocity happen. That's just me. You know, so they uh, I tell you it was a nightmare. So I empathize with you because um, I was there, bro. I was there. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> was there. Yeah, so the, judge, the second judge, guess, uh, happened to I, I don't know if she remember me, but she had to remember me because the second judge now because I said, nope, I want to go to the Supreme Court. So the first one was like, you sure? Just drop it. We'll give you like prints. But this is silly. This is a mistake. Their mistake. Why should I have to pay a fine for their mistake? That doesn't make sense to me. So I went to the next one. And and now it becomes integrity. Because everything I said, I said, all you need to do, pull the camera. Even if you pull the camera, there's 85 witnesses who will testify that I never in any time, shape, or form did anything of violence or making threats or anything, you know, anything to cause this beating that I got. Nothing. There's no, there's nothing to justify it. And these people in gray pants and white shirt, she told me, how didn't you know I was a cop? Didn't you see my badge? Yeah, now I see it after I don't have the belly club in my head. Sure, I see it now, but I didn't see it then. And only cops I know wear blue uniforms. That's what I know. I don't know cops that wear gray pants and white shirts. That's called security, I guess. I don't know what that's called. But I, I didn't think there were cops. She said, no, they're cops. And you have you should have went with them. That's resisting arrest. How would, how would I know? Because you didn't even tell me what, what I was going with these strange people for. If you would have told me, I would have said, oh, okay. Let me go and get to take care of this and solve this. Nope. So uh, luckily, the second judge uh, happened to have been one, <laughs> one of my teachers. <laughs> So thank God integrity was everything and that was sealed the deal. So it got dropped. Thank God. Wow. It, yeah, it's it's crazy. But I appreciate you uh for for the work that you do. Um you also do investigating, don't you? Yeah, I was a special investigator for uh smoking and associates law firm. Mm -hmm. Um that was one of my favorite jobs I ever had, actually. Really? Uh, you know it's funny, I got the job um the Schmelkin Associates were also my attorneys who won the lawsuit for me. Wow. So after that, mm -hmm. they ended up hiring me. <laughs> wow. And um, it's, it's crazy because I got to work on some really um, high profile cases, some, some, some great cases, uh, a lot of civil rights uh, cases and police brutality stuff. And I got to serve police officers subpoenas every day. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> Why you say that? <laughs> and I'm talking. It was. Let me tell you. I would. I would have on my black fedora, uh -huh. and my and in my in my my black top coat. Mm -hmm. And when they see me coming into the precinct, they'd be like, "Uh oh, the Grim Reaper's here." <laughs> they like the word was out. If uh -huh. they when I, when I come in, everybody's like a ghost because they don't know who I'm coming for. Oh wow! You That's never crazy. know who I'm coming for, and I always get my guy. <laughs> yes. Uh so somebody said, James, what about your charge? Sorry, that was me not being rude. Sorry about that, James. Okay, uh, yeah. So my, my charge was uh, open container and resisting arrest. Um, 
like I said, the open container got thrown out immediately when I challenged it uh, on the fingerprints. And what continued was the resisting arrest. And that continued for three years. Now, let me tell you this. I've seen so many people just like me who had were, who had a charge that a crime that they didn't do. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they get to a point where their boss tells them, listen, if you take off one more day to go to court, I'm going to have to let you go. <coughs> now they say, okay. Now, my friend, he was in a situation just like this to where his boss said, look, if you take off one more day, so he said he came in. He said, "Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a plea uh, because I can't take, miss any more days of work." Right. That plea gave him uh, a, a misdemeanor charge. Mm-hmm. Now, what he forgot was in his leasing agreement, it said that if he's ever convicted of a crime, he <coughs> terminates his lease immediately. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So, so he ended that. up losing his apartment, but he kept the job. You see what I'm saying? And uh, you know, luckily, I didn't have that problem, and I was able to go, what, two, three times a month for three years, until they were they finally dismissed. Well, they didn't. They reluctantly dismissed the case because they knew once it was dismissed, I was going to start that lawsuit process. Right. And if I would have took a plea, I wouldn't be entitled to 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 the, to the lawsuit. Right. See what I'm saying? So they were banking. Matter of fact, they was like, oh, we're not ready. We're not ready. It got to the point where the judge is like, hold on. This man has a right to a speedy trial. We're already two and a half years in now. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> so they had to really start. So now, finally, when they finally said they were ready, I'm like, okay, yes. Then they said, it's, it's a bluffing game. Uh-huh, I know. It's a whole big bluffing game. These guys well, are like. Money. The blind man's bluff for real. Yeah. So when they said they were ready, they just want to see my reaction. If I was going to say, oh, my God, they really ready. No, I'm like, let's go. So what they didn't know was my attorneys found out mm-hmm. that the same officer that initiated the assault on me mm-hmm. was also being sued by five other people for police brutality. Wow. He got an attitude problem. Once my attorney found that out and and, and, and approached the district attorney, they said, oh, man, okay, this guy can't stand trial. We're going to have to throw it out. Right, good. And that's what they had to do. And good. my lawsuit started immediately the next day. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. And, uh, uh, you know, I won a lot of money. But besides the money, it was really about being victorious and allowing, and, and allowing others who've been through <laughs> this to see that there is a way that you can win in these cases. One of the main things, like I, I do a lot of speaking engagements about police brutality, about uh, police uh, police in, uh, encount, uh, interaction, mm-hmm. you know, specifically with young black males, mm-hmm. because you know it's 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 so the tension is so high, the environment could easily get out of control, it Easy. could easily become a hostile environment, you know what I'm saying? So what I what I tell them, I said, listen, whatever you do mm-hmm. your objective should your objective should be to make it into the courtroom alive mm. and without any additional charges mm. if an officer says to you that you're going to jail there's nothing you can do on the street to stop that from happening 
The only thing you can do is make that situation worse right. by uh, resisting or trying to pull something out of your pocket. Don't even give them anything because they're looking for everything they can do to add more charges to your, your to, to, to your case yes. and make it look like you're the bad guy. Right. Now, on top of all of this, even if you go willingly mm-hmm. and there's no extra charges, you still have to deal with uh, your prior <coughs> criminal history, which is what most, which is like the, the district attorney's main tactic is right. trying people based on their criminal prior criminal history. Mm-hmm. So I've actually seen a police officer tell a guy, listen, we're not going to arrest you. We just want to run your name through the system to make sure you don't have any warrants. Yeah. Soon as his uh, rap sheet came back as armed robbery with a with a deadly weapon and assault and bat, they started beating the guy up at that point because they knew whatever they did to him, they would be able to be accountable for it because of his prior criminal history. They could always say, listen, because of who he was and what his criminal record said, we feared for our lives and even dealing with this guy. Yeah. But you see what I'm saying? And, and guess what? They're always going to win. Yes. Because but you your know prior what? criminal... Huh? Go ahead. Go ahead. Your prior, your prior criminal history supersedes you and is always going to work against you in the court of law. Mm. No matter so, how much of a changed person you are. Mm-hmm. There was a guy who... He was about 65 years old. Mm. He did some time in prison when he was younger. You know, he had a rap sheet. Came out of prison a changed man. He just happened to be going to see a family member during a time when the police were doing a raid mm. in the same building, coincidentally. Mm. They rounded everybody <coughs> in the building up mm. and took him to jail, regardless if they had anything to do with the, the raid. This guy just happened to be caught up in, in, in the middle. So he's like, yo, listen, I just came. They said, yo, shut up. Don't say nothing. Everybody's, everybody in this building is going to jail. That's disgusting. They took him in. Mm. An attorney comes out to one of those uh, court appointed attorneys comes out to him and says, listen, we know you didn't have anything to do with this, but we don't think that you would be good uh, to stand trial with your prior criminal history. Oh, Lord. Not that the one. guy, the guy said, listen, I'm a changed man. I haven't been to prison in 20 years. Everybody knows I'm a good guy. Mm. When that guy went to trial and blue trial, he ended up getting <coughs> three years in prison. It's just wrong. That's just wrong. And I said, are you serious? There was another guy <coughs> who uh, he was in the back of a cab. Mm. He. Um, yeah, he was he was in the cab. Mm. No, no, no. It was a cab. It was a cab driver. Mm. The, the cab driver had somebody in the back. Okay. They had drugs mm-hmm. in, a, in a book bag. OK. The undercover cops were following the guy. No, no. They they didn't even know the guy. The undercover cops were 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 were, were behind him to, trying to tell the, the cab driver he couldn't double park. Okay. The guy in the back seat got nervous and thought that the police were coming to get him because he had drugs. Oh. He runs out of the back seat, leaves the drugs in the in the back seat of the car. It was a like two keys of cocaine. Oh my God. So now the police they 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 they, they, they lost the guy. He got away. So they said, okay, somebody got to go down for the two keys. So they tried to say that the, the, the cab driver was in on it. He was <laughs> transporting the drugs, mm. you know, the guy with the drugs. This cab driver didn't know nothing about drugs. He just was 
happened to pick up a guy who had drugs in his bag. Mm-hmm. He's thinking, the guy's like, yo, listen, I ain't do nothing. I'm a good guy. That guy got 20 years in prison. What? Yes. Yeah. 20 man. years in prison. 20 years? Yeah. I, and that's still good for two keys of cocaine. Couldn't anybody verify what he does and who he is and all that good stuff? You know how many people I'm, that are in prison, in jail, in prison right now, just because they didn't have enough money to afford the right attorney? No, I know. I, trust me. I, I worked in a jail. I know. I worked... Um, I worked at Taconic. I worked a few places. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I see it. I mean, all the time. All. Yeah. I, I I used to I used to inspect prisons uh, for human rights violations, mm-hmm. and get you know I, used to, I got to talk to so many prisoners, and I used right. to do mo- mo- motivational speech you know speeches at a lot of these prisons, mm-hmm. and wow. man, some of the war stories. I, I was able to help some of the people mm-hmm. because I'm like, yo, come on, man. You know, are you serious? You know, some of these cases are just, it just, they just need, a, you know, the right legal defense uh, to help them, man. But there's so many people that just get, uh, you know, fall through those cracks. Yes. You know I think that, that, uh, that would be a good, uh, uh, that's the kind of real reality show I'd like to see uh, with the legal team of volunteers who, who take that on and literally pick which. You know what? Mm-hmm. I, I was, I was uh, one of the coordinators. Um, up at the National Action Network for uh, Legal Night, uh, head by uh, 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 Michael Hardy, who's uh, uh, the uh, general counsel for uh, National Action Network. Oh, okay. And you know, I, when I was working at the attorney uh, for Attorney Schmelkin, mm-hmm. we collaborated with them in order to uh, help with Legal Night and. Legal night was really good, man. It was a, a panel of attorneys mm-hmm. up on the stage, about mm-hmm. eight, uh, eight to ten attorneys, wow. who weren't like they weren't um, uh, like you know legal aides uh, or court appointed attorneys. These guys were like serious attorneys, right? And they all were pro bono, mm-hmm. providing their services to help those who could not afford uh, legal representation. Wow, you know. Mm-hmm. And oh, let me tell you, this uh, we we in the audience, mm-hmm. it'll be about two hundred people, mm-hmm. and on the stage would be about ten attorneys, and every one of those attorneys would see everybody, would take a you know, would, by the end of the night, all everybody had you know was was represented, mm-hmm. and every last Thursday of the month, I, I don't know if it's still going on because of COVID, yes. kind of shifted it back a little bit, but. Right, man, right. When, when I was there, man, it was it was so amazing. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, That's anybody cool. that needed legal representation, these guys were getting people out of. We even got a couple of people off of death row too. <laughs> wow. You know what I'm saying? It was serious. That's crazy. But um, Michael Hardy, man, he's an amazing guy, Michael. doing incredible work up at National Action Network on the legal side. Wow. You know, when I expressed to him how much I loved, you know, um, and was into, you know, learning about law and, and dealing with. Uh, high-profile cases. Mm-hmm. He told me, "Come on, you know, let's, you know, let's let's get down." And man, matter of fact, uh, there was a judge by the name of Judge Tingling. What's the name? D- judge, Judge Tingling. Tingling. Okay. Yeah, he was the judge that was able to uh, to provide um, what they call a letter of letter of good conduct. Oh. Okay. So basically, once if you are uh, uh, convicted of a crime. A felony, 
<coughs> and you needed to reinstate your right to vote. You need a certificate of, uh, uh -huh. um, either it's called either a certificate of relief, right, or a certificate of good conduct. One, right. uh, either either one of those two. Mm -hmm. And this judge is the one that issued those. So when I found out about this, I said, "Oh my God!" And I connected with this brother, amazing. And he told me, he said, "Listen, anybody that you got that needs this, bring them to me, and I'll I'll give them a certificate of relief." to reinstate their voting rights wow that's a very important because that's why the whole prison system was created anyway so that we yeah so if it's another another form to hold us back in voting uh and it's still lingering today still yeah. very very much uh resonance so um i can't believe an hour has went by already um i'm trying to think what did we not cover um <laughs> so much <laughs> i know it's like a two-hour show we need with you because it's amazing stuff but this is good stuff this is what people need to know um and uh and that's the hard part is which part do we get to um but uh oh wow now i don't even know which one to ask about next uh you oh uh yes it is your uh i want to say documentary let me see what i got here oh yeah the documentary so now the documentary was basically um spawned by my police brutality case. Okay. Going through that whole process, I said, man, I can't believe that there's so many people, especially black and brown people, who go through this every day and don't have the same resources that I have, don't have the same support system that I have, don't have the same resources on any level, and are just victims of mm. police brutality. Mm. I said, you know what? I, we got to do something about this. So being able to speak about my situation, mm -hmm. every time when I um, tell people that I run a lawsuit against NYPD, they just go crazy because they're like, oh my God. Because like right. I said, only 1% of African-Americans in New York City, African-American mm -hmm. males in New York City have successfully done that. So, and you know, to be more technical, it's, it, it wasn't uh, a lawsuit against NYPD. It was actually a lawsuit against the city of New York on behalf of NYPD. Mm -hmm. Okay, so any uh, other municipalities, you have to sue New York City because they're under that umbrella. Oh, okay. you know what I'm saying? Wow. So um, that whole situation, as I'm going through the process, I started doing a lot of research and looking into cases and case law, case files, mm -hmm. and um, I said, "Wow, you know, we got to, we got to, we got to raise awareness about this." But I said first. First thing I got to do is align myself with an existing organization that does this kind of work. Hmm. That's how I connected with the National Action Network. Uh, okay, got it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, well, see, even before that, Reverend Al Sharpton's daughter, Ashley, you know, we, me and her had connected on um, through social media, okay. and she was seeing how I was posting Black History facts every day, 365 days a year. That's right. Nobody You're else was well, right? Huh? Historian as well. You are you're a historian as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm also the vice president of the Harlem Historical Society too. Woo. <laughs> but, <that>. um, <laughs> I know I, I I do a lot. Some say I'm I'm doing too much, but we can never do enough, especially nope. with all the problems we have. Yes. You know, in, in our communities. We're yes. never doing enough. Even if we think we are. That's why every it's like every uh the top of every mountain is mm -hmm. the bottom of a new mountain for me. 
Right. You know what I'm saying? So once I get to the top of one, okay, got another one, let's go. I'm always conquering new things and trying to do things better, bigger, faster, and more effectively so we can have a a, a process, so we can have a blueprint of how, because every time I do something, I'm strategically mapping how I did it in order to, to tell others how to do it too. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's, uh, it's, 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 it's very effective. You know, when you, when you start to get into motion, into the motion of doing things right. and getting and, and seeing progress, mm. you know what right. I'm saying? Yeah. So the, the documentary, man, uh, it's called Middleman. Yes. And we came up with the name Middleman. Uh, my director, Rochelle White, she's amazing. Oh, my God. Sure. Between her and me, we basically had everything it took to do a documentary. Yeah, wow. I, you know, just all, just all internal resources. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was right, you know, in the, right next to Reverend Al Sharpton, uh, <coughs> open up his, opening up his show every Saturday morning, um, the Saturday morning Action Rally broadcast with a uh, uh, civil rights highlight speech. So I was do- taking what I was already doing with Black History and then uh, u- utilizing it in the, in, in, in the form of a civil rights highlight speech. So it would be uh, based around uh, an incident <coughs> or a story or situation that mm-hmm. reflected back on the civil rights movement or even reflects on something now today. So that was the, the, the structure uh, of the segment that I was on for Reverend Sharpton's show. Mm-hmm. A lot of people saw that show and saw me and that's kind of got a little famous, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it was a really good uh, platform for me. Right. I always thank Reverend Sharpton for giving me that opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, for five years I did that, you know, and, and it was it just really helped me out a lot to get more notoriety and uh, based around what I was doing with Black History. Right, right. You know? So um, right after that is when, you know, Dealing with the National Action Network on that level, mm-hmm. I was like sitting right next to Gwen Carr, like on on, on the show. Mm-hmm. And after that, we would talk, you know, and we got really, you know, um, we got to know each other a lot better. And I, I said, yo, listen, you know, I'm thinking about doing a documentary. I would love to, you know, speak to you about it. She's like, oh, let me know whatever you need, you know. Um, Eric Garner's, uh, I mean, uh, 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 Sean Bell's father, you know, I got really tight with him just being, you know, around him at at the National Action Network. Mm-hmm. And he's like, listen, any, you want to know anything about my son? Mm-hmm. Come by. I'll show you where, you know, where he, he, where he got uh, shot. He took, he, you know, he gave me like a tour of the place he got. He had the, uh, the party. Right. The place where he got shot. The place where they named the street after him. Mm-hmm. He took me home and showed me pictures of him when he was a baby talking to him uh you know or, or, you know interviewing him at at the house it, it was beautiful you know uh Amadou Diallo's mother same thing man she gave us a lot of information she gave wow. us a great interview oh that's um Cor- Corey Weiss from Central Park 5 oh, I was wow. with him all the time at the National Action Network we became like brothers you know I even got him a, a book deal through Simon and Schuster nice you know Sweet. what I'm saying that's gonna be powerful. If you have all of those people, that's gonna be powerful. I cannot wait. When is that coming oh, no, out? Let me tell you, I got whistleblower <laughs> cops. Oh I got I got oh I got Philip Banks, who was the commissioner when Eric Garner got killed. What? I got a guy named uh Ernie <clears throat> uh Arnie Chris. I've heard that name. Arnie Chris was the deputy commissioner of trials. Oh. So whenever a police officer <laughs> does something wrong, 
He doesn't stand in front of a judge. Mm -hmm. He stands in front of the deputy commissioner of trials, which is a judge for police officers. Right. And police matters. Right. You see what I'm saying? Um, and Arnie Chris was a really good guy. He was one of the few deputy commissioner of trials that wasn't uh, an internal NYPD, you know, uh, type of judge. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And he was very transparent, man. And he worked, he disciplined a lot of police officers accordingly because he wasn't part of that blue coat. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. That's important. Great, great guy, great guy, man. And uh, man, I got psychologists, sociologists, economists, mm -hmm. uh, NYPD experts, analysts, nice. behaviorists. I mean, everybody, because, you know, in a lot of cases, you have a one sided issue. Mm -hmm. And it'll just be either bashing the cops right. or glorifying, you know, uh, the, the cops. In this case, I said, no, we need to be as transparent as possible. I need the experts and I need the activists and I need I need the, the whole spectrum. Yes. So we got, you know, both sides. Good. good and, good. you know, if you look at like Oprah Winfrey did, the, she produced this documentary on HBO about Michael Jackson. Yes, I saw that. Oprah Winfrey had ample amounts of times and opportunities to sit down and talk to Michael Jackson about anything she needed to talk to him about. Mm -hmm. But she decided to wait until after he died to do a smear campaign. And it was very, you know, it, it was very sad. It broke my that, heart. You know what I'm saying? Broke my now, heart. I met him once. It broke, really broke my heart. Oh, 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 he actually signed an artist that I used to manage. <laughs> so I knew him, you know, on a whole nother level. But he was he was a really great guy. He was. So, you know, he was. really great guy. And see, even in that documentary, mm -hmm. the FBI discredited all that information. They said, no, all this stuff is not true. We told you guys before you all did the documentary. Why would you still keep dwelling on this? Because everybody just wanted to make it. He could never be the king of pop. They never could have a, a you, excuse me. And, an and, but let me tell you what, let me tell you what people are not talking about. Mm -hmm. The fact that that documentary got sued. And they lost a lot of money. Oh. They're not talking about that part. Oh, well, that's good. I hope the kids sued them. You know what I'm saying? State, the estate. I hope they did. Because that's just, it was, it was, I thought that was the lowest when I saw, what was this, Brashear? The gentleman, um, Brashear was the guy that she had um, talking. Uh, no, that was forgot, with, that was with Michael name. Jackson. That's what he did that interview and tried to with Lisa Presley. Um, I thought it was so total setup, but I was like, hmm. I'm not trusting none of them. This is all this is all fixed. Uh, and and you know I don't know. I just I feel bad because uh, Michael Jackson was the one one celebrity who, for me, um, could right now go in the studio, come out with a song that'll make my heart happy, even in the middle of the war and the middle of craziness. He would bring it all together with that song. You know. Yeah, let me tell you. I, I was just talking to my friend earlier today, mm -hmm. and I said, when you got a mother, a daughter and a grandmother that are all watching <laughs> an artist and all enjoying this artist perform. Three generations at one time, that's very hard. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Because of generational gaps. Yep. But if you got an artist like Michael who channeled through generations and yep. still, you know, was was amazing. You know, yep. it's hard to even keep that momentum after years. Yes. You, you know what I'm saying? Not many artists make it past the second, third album. And then you got somebody like Mike had like many albums and and much success and to be able to captivate 
several generations is, is phenomenal in itself. Mm, he's amazing. You know now, you know what's crazy? A lot of people talking about this uh, drill music. Uh-huh. You heard about that? Drill music? Yeah. Like like uh like the um not sorority, um the um like the AC three C schools or you mean that kind of music like doing the the, the the whole orchestra thing or something no, no, no. Like okay Dr drill music is this new uh it's a new kind of hip hop oh music that specifically oh. speaks about killing oh and murdering people oh so right. when when you're on the ground and i got the gun to your head i drill you by shooting you mm -hmm. so this drill music is influencing a lot of uh young people to want to kill to want to shoot because you can't even get in this genre without having beef like you can't come in and say hey guy let's rap about having a good time okay mm -hmm. he's not a drill rapper he's he, get him out of here in order to solidify yourself in the drill music world, you have to be uh, in constant beef with someone, have shot someone, or <clears throat> killed someone, or, or or shot at a cop, or did something in retaliation to a cop. It's crazy. And let me guess who the executive is at the top of the office that's getting the money on all of this. It's a couple, um, but these labels are enabling this. They're and enabling that's what I'm this. About. That's what I'm talking about the label, the executive, the executive person who's signing off on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let them, do, let them just kill each other. Who cares? I'm gonna get, I'm gonna take out this double life insurance policy anyway. Don't matter. Let's go. Uh, they don't really care. Uh, it's just, it's a new <laughs> modality. It's just, it's horrible. I used to work in the music business. It's, it's totally well, changed. Let me tell you. Um, I'm, I'm sure you could take a wild guess on where drill music originated. <laughs> Let's guess. South, where, Midwest, I don't know. where Chicago. Exactly. Okay. Well, Chicago. Yeah. I mean, you could tell by the murder, the the, the like, because for so long I thought, okay, what's going on in Chicago with all this, these shootings and and all this high crime, gun violence, what's going on, and that's when the drill, the drill music culture was at its height. Let me tell you, the <clears throat> drill music culture. Rappers, um, to, to see 25 is like, it's, it's old huh. to these guys. Yeah. Okay. Because like I said, in order to even be in this realm, you have to be retaliating. You have to have beef. And your ultimate goal is to drill a hole in somebody with the bullet. So basically, it's it's gang music, pretty much. Yeah. They, they, they're like, that's like the subculture. Yeah. That's you know what I'm saying? Means. Yeah. So what so what happens is this. As I'm doing research on drill music and other kinds of music, <coughs> I found out that Michael Jackson, mm. Prince, Bob Marley, mm. the Beatles, mm. Elvis Presley, uh and, and, and yo, know, a couple of other like major Cabinet. artists, mm -hmm. especially from back in the days, had the uh the frequency of their music was tuned to a frequency of love. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> drill music, gangster rap, and other genres that focus on the negative prospects and negative energy mm -hmm. are all tuned to a frequency, a, a demonic frequency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, 
if you understand what that means, a demonic frequency is something it can can possess someone. I know. I've seen. You know it. what I'm saying? So now you got the demonic frequency calculating with someone who's playing Call of Duty. Mm. God help games. Okay, now I'm now I'm not blaming it on the video games. I'm not blaming it on the music. Right. What I'm saying is collectively these influences work for right. certain reasons. Right. Okay. But in, in a, if you have someone who's channeling all of these things, mm-hmm. all those elements, with yeah. the, with and now with an ambition to fit in mm-hmm. with other kids who are aligned with this kind of energy, mm-hmm. guilty by association, mm-hmm. guilty of influence that you might not even understand. Wow. You know, in so many cases. They end up either dead or in jail. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And like I said, I'm not blaming it on anybody in particular. But see, one thing that uh, uh, that the youth need is is a direction. Yeah. They need to have a direction. They need to be focused on something, and also occupied at the same time in 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 a in positive form. Mm-hmm. Like if if we got them focused on going to college, right? Focused on what they're going to major in. Uh, and we have them occupied um, in good in good ways, like community center, outreach programs. And see, this one thing I love about Street Corner Resources, which is the organization that I'm the board chair of, mm-hmm. we have so many programs. We have locations for them to come to. Like I said, we created the Peace Cafe specifically because on Friday nights between the hours of 8 p.m. and 12 p.m. is the window of time where the detectives are literally hunting young black males trying to introduce them to the criminal justice system by shakedowns and stop and frisk and all this stuff. So what we said, you know what, we're going to create a place for them to come to a safe haven where they don't have to worry about, because see, these guys are teenagers. They're not old enough to get into the club and they don't want to be sitting around the house on a Friday night. (coughs) Right. Nobody. So so they're roaming the streets. Okay. Guess what? They're moving targets. Yes. these the under plainclothes detectives, they're the worst. I know. They I've been, are I'm, the oh yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> and when you I was know. 15, 15, when I was 15, I saw I saw some I, two ice. I saw horrible, I mean horrible incidents and it, it it traumatized me. And luckily, you know, my my stepfather was NYPD, uh, so it didn't I know there's good cops and I know there's some people that are good somewhere, somehow. So I don't yeah, think yeah. it's all this way. So that's good for me, but trust me, I've seen some bad things happen uh, for other yeah, people. Yeah. And it's just, I got a cop walked to me one day on 60th Street, one search me. I said, I'm a girl. What? What's up with yeah, he said, oh, let me see what's in your pockets. Not my pockets. You can see what's in his pockets, but you can't see what's in my pockets. You yeah, you had, to call, you had to call a female officer. Yeah, well, <laughs> he, 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 thank God he didn't get, he got forceful with him, but he didn't get forceful with me because he, what are you going to say? You have no female officer here. There is no other officer around. You walk in the bright daylight. It's like, let me see what's in your pockets, right? I'm cursing at us, calling us the N-word. Just really horrible. It was horrible. That was like in the 80s. It was horrible. Horrible. But so I've seen stuff. Uh, but Yeah, but, I can imagine, man. Yeah, I appreciate what you do. Um, I know it's a t- I've had you so long on here, and I'm so sorry I held you so long, but I'm having such no, a good no, time. No, no, no. Listen, we, we, we can keep going. <laughs> no, it's like... Uh, 
because this is stuff we don't get, you know, we don't get to have, uh, you know, uh, assemblyman president of another organization, you know, all the things that we need, the elements we need to bring the community together. We don't usually get to, you know, sit and pick the brain of that person. So I appreciate you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about, um, this will be the last thing I ask, okay? Um, tell me about, um, the. okay, so another documentary I think you said you wanted to work on, um, was it Addiction? Um, what, was it? what was it? Ah, where's it at? Um, there was one other thing you said you wanted to work on that you were going to work on uh, more in the future. Okay, nope, not that. All right, police brutality, you told me about that already. There's one other thing. Ah, this is it. Oh, human trafficking. Okay, so yeah, we we uh, that's one of the next uh, film projects that I'm going to be producing. Um, it's a it's a film called uh, "Good Girl Done Bad," not "Good Girl Gone Bad." "Good Girl Done Bad," mm. and it's in reference to um, a young lady who uh, got caught up in uh, human trafficking. Now, let me tell you, I this really started with me uh, based around a guy that I met. Mm -hmm. years ago and um a friend of mine had a party at a strip club mm -hmm. and i don't really do strip clubs but you know i came by just to like support and trying to really be in and out <laughs> right, right. and um while i'm there i met this guy mm -hmm. he introduced me to a guy he said yo this guy right here mm -hmm. you know he can get you he can get you uh he can get you girls i'm like i, I don't want no girls Right. But just to, I, I didn't know what he was referring to at the time. Right. Then I later on, I asked him, I said, what do you mean by he can get you girls? He said, and when I was at the club, there was about 10 um, Russian um, strippers. Mm -hmm. They were they were really nice. They were cool. <laughs> right. But, you know, and I, 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 I wasn't really thinking about it at the time. But later on, when I asked my guy, he broke it down to me. He said, all those girls belong to that guy. What? I said, what do you mean? So he broke it down to me because he said there was like three other strip clubs where this whole same kind of stuff was going down. These girls are literally kidnapped mm -hmm. in places like Russia and Ukraine and, and places like that. Mm -hmm. Some of these girls are like top models, man. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous, you know. Mm -hmm. And they kidnap them and they hold them on a boat until they get enough of them to where they, you know, uh, they say, okay, once they get a, a certain number, it's okay. Now we can now we can take off. Some of the girls come out of prostitution, uh, runaways, and just right. get caught up yeah. in this whole thing. So oh, yeah, we take you to America. They don't tell you you're gonna be like on the bottom of an ocean liner. You, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, well, how the hell? You know, they just kidnap them. So they know information about each one of their family members. You know, one of their families. So if at any, any point in time, one of the girls runs away, mm -hmm. they go and they either kidnap a family member or kill or some, you know, they, they do some retaliative stuff, man. It's crazy. Oh, man, that's crazy. And so these girls know, okay, we we, we got to do whatever they say. Mm -mm. Now, they said there were instances where sometimes they would kill one of the girls in front of everybody just to, like, as a lesson, okay, see that right there? This is what happens to anybody that doesn't follow the program. Right. They get them over to America, mm. and they assign them to different strip clubs. Mm. And they have to work in that strip club until they can make enough money to pay their way out of that obligation. That's disgusting. And if at any point in time they decide that they want to run away, their family is at, is at risk. Mm. 
you know, that direct family's at risk. They'll make a phone call over back over there and somebody could die. You know what I'm saying? Because now they say, okay, now just you being in this equation now, you're you're a debt. Mm. And until this debt is resolved, you belong to us. And the whole big like Russian mafia thing, you know, it's, yep. a, it's a well organized uh, system. I'm surprised you know what I'm saying? they get away with um, that. And you know, I started finding out more about my like, wow, this is crazy. You know, and I didn't want to do something that was gonna kind of like, uh, you know, um, you know, not like an undercover okay. type of nothing like that. Right. I wanted I wanted to get as real of a real life scenario as possible. Right. So I, I spoke to some of the um, some some people who had inside information about stories and things like that, mm -hmm. and just putting together uh, something as real as possible without right. being like under you know inside edition or something like that. You know? <laughs> right, 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 right. You know what I'm saying? And I'm always big on trying to protect people's identity if they don't want to be exposed. But exactly. the big picture is getting the word out about what's happening. And this is just one type of situation. I got another uh I got another film called um Coyote, Coyote Crossing. Oh. Which is uh uh, written by a good friend of mine by the name of Kim Delgado. This guy's a, a legend in the in the game. He he actually teaches the advanced write, uh, script writing course at Berkeley College. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. That's right. He's the president of Heavenly Visions Films Productions. This guy's uh, IMDb page will probably make your computer explode. What? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, he wrote this piece called Carity Cross and this true story about um, these Mexicans crossing the border. Mm -hmm. And how like the the coyotes are the ones that you know take you across. Mm. Now they right. can either ask for money, mm -hmm. they could ask for sexual favors, mm -hmm. they could ask for you know anything they want to because you're willing to do whatever it takes to get to the other side. Yeah, and even if you could even negotiate a money transaction with these guys, and they can get you halfway there and say, you know what, I, I think I want to have sex, um, and there's like yeah. nothing you could do about that. No, I know. I know from someone. You know what I'm saying? They could sit. They, they could, and they're interacting with the with the with the narcos and the 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 drug cartels. That whole area is like, man, no man's land for real. Yeah, man, I know. Been there, you know? Nope. Uh, so so you know, but really, even in the United States of America, mm -hmm. there's a lot. You know, there's a human trafficking thing going on here that nobody wants to talk uh, about. Hello, right down the street, there was someone uh, uh, over by. Um, one of the one of the over by the um well the road we call um uh, it's like um it's like a private uh estate but of course across from it there was these um this guy who had uh, a a girl living there unwillingly uh for a long time and nobody knew until something happened I forgot she came outside or something I forgot what happened but something happened and blow wow paper and I was like here are you kidding me so I was like okay how many more because now I learned even the massage parlors got girls to do extra for the massage and I was like wait what so now yeah. I started looking at them different now that explains some of their behavior and that they don't speak any English because that's what they get them so that they stay doing what they need them to do you so, know what speak, speaking of massage parlors uh -huh. the first documentary I produced is called the Carl Ritchie story Mm. And a Carl, Carl Ritchie was a guy, he was a military veteran mm -hmm. who opened up a massage parlor in Hawaii. Okay, right. And this guy, he, 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 he you know, it was 
the massage parlor was doing really good. He ended up opening like two more. Mm. And he had a lot of beautiful Hawaiian girls working for him. And mm -hmm. they, it was, you know, they tried to say he was a pimp. Right. Was, and all kind of crazy stuff. This guy had a, you know, he was just, he was a businessman. He wasn't into all that stuff. Wow. But they came down on him, man, and created a bogus case. And he ended up getting like life in prison Jesus. behind this whole human trafficking, pimping. They even said he was doing involved with, he wasn't involved with none of that stuff. So he got railroaded. What happened was there was a, a, a big time attorney in Hawaii who, who actually was a classmate of Barack Obama and went to Harvard and all that. Mm -hmm. And um, she heard about this case and she went in and found out that they railroaded him. And she ended up getting him out of there, beating the case. And he ended up winning a little settlement behind that. Sure. When I heard about this case, I said, man, you know, this is totally outside of the norm it's, 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 a, it's a lot of people don't know about the racism in hawaii mm. when it comes to black men and see the same thing happens in like hawaii germany <laughs> a lot of these places where blacks were in the military uh -huh. and are, are places where there's a lot of white women <laughs> you, you know and, and so you know but in hawaii specifically mm. um they just didn't like the fact that this black man had all these beautiful Hawaiian women working under him. Right. They said, it's got to be something going on. Right. You know, and they just literally trumped up charges and, and, and created a case that didn't even exist. And it's very unfortunate because, you know, this man had to lost everything during the process. You know, um, a lot of people, we have, we have a, a bad <coughs> habit of believing that people are bad just because, a case was brought against somebody. Right. You know, right. everybody's innocent to proven guilty. Right. And if you look at it, like, um, there was a lady one time during jury selection, they asked her, um, they said, you know, do you think that this guy's guilty? <laughs> now, this woman hadn't heard any evidence or anything. <laughs> Just look at him. She said, yeah. <laughs> they said, well, how, how could you say that he's guilty? You, <laughs> you don't even know anything about the case. You know what the lady said? <laughs> Go ahead. He wouldn't be on trial if he wasn't guilty. Hmm. And people... you would not believe how many people actually think that same thing. <coughs> Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. when I started, um, when I was working for the uh, Schmelkin Law Firm, I was involved with jury selection and, and, and putting together trials and and jury selection and, 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 a, and a bunch of other things that are in the preliminary stages of a trial. And some of the stuff that I heard people say mm. that just don't know anything about this whole process. See, now you also got to look at this. Mm. The average person doesn't want to be doing jury duty. Mm. They're like, yo, I'm losing money. Right. I, I, I'm away from my kids. Right. You, you know, there and so many cases where people have just not really gotten fair justice because of the conditions that people are under during the process of trying to make a decision. Right. Arguing back and forth with people. Uh, I don't care. I just, whatever we got to do, I got to go. Right. I got to go home. Let's, make, let's hurry up. Hurry. So now you're making a rash decision. Somebody's life is in a win right here. Yep. Somebody's yep. like in a cell somewhere praying that you guys, 
you know, and then guess what? Even if you get the judgment that you want to say innocent, guess what? Now the district attorney can say, you know what? We're going to do it again. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And if you look at cases like, uh, like a lot of these federal cases, right? Mm-hmm. The reason the FBI has a much better uh, conviction rate mm-hmm. than, say, NYPD right. is because they have an unlimited budget, first of all. <laughs> right. I was okay. going to say. <laughs> FBI and CIA, they have an unlimited budget. <laughs> NYPD doesn't. So whenever the police bring you in, okay, mm-hmm. that's it. The charges that you brought up against him, this is all we got. If he beats this, then he's out of here. Mm-hmm. The, F- the FBI, on the other hand, what they do is they say, okay, we've been uh, doing surveillance. We've been following this guy. We've been tapping his phone and everything. Mm-hmm. So after a certain amount of time, they take all that evidence and they bring it to a federal judge. And that federal judge says, okay, this is good, but I need a little more. So they go back out there with this unlimited budget <laughs> and they continue surveillance. They continue wiretapping, continue you know, rounding up uh, uh, snitches and people that are cooperating with getting this, building this case, building, building, building. Mm-hmm. They come back in. Okay, this is great, excellent, amazing, but I just need a little bit more. <laughs> now, all of this budget is calculating and working against you, and you don't even know. Right. Okay, so now the third time when they come in, the judge says, okay, bring them on in, baby. We got them. So that judge is confident that he has enough evidence at this time to, to convict. And this is how we have a 98.9% conviction rate on the federal side. Right. As oh. opposed to 65, 70, you know, on the state side. Right. And just think, just think how many of those are innocent. <laughs> oh, man. Let me tell you. See, the, the worst thing about the federal side is, man, oh, Man, it, it's it, it's technical, and and it, it gets political too, in in cases. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's it's much easier to deal with a state case, yeah, um, than a federal case, man. Yeah, absolutely. Much easier. Wow. Well, wow. I've been so enlightened today, uh, between um, the law and the, and the everything. It's just amazing. Um, so I hope my viewers out there, I hope you guys are listening and paying attention. I see you out here. You're still, some of you still staying with me. We appreciate you. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Everybody, man. Like, and you know, I, I, if, I'll come back if, 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 if any, any, if, you know, this happened to me before where so many questions had occurred during, mm-hmm. after my interview that they use those questions for the next, <laughs> for the next <laughs> interview. Yeah, I'll, 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 if there's more, we got to have you back again. Cause you're you're just amazing. Your wealth of information, uh, and um, and and knowledge. So that's everything, it's everything. So I appreciate you so much. Um, I know you. Everybody's got some point. Think <laughs> we got to go. Um, I no, appreciate. No, no, no. We got fifteen minutes left. You know, fifteen minutes. Oh, we can we can do fifteen. We can knock out fifteen. So what's yeah. the last thing? What did we get? Uh, justice producing. Ah, and the in the future. What does that look like right now with politics? Uh, anything special you're going to be doing? Well, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, um, philanthropy is my 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 goal. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, mm-hmm. I mean really um, being really hands-on mm-hmm. at um, 
getting funding to places and entities that really need it. You know, a lot of people, you know, they say, okay, yeah, we, we raised two, three million dollars over here. Nobody knows where this stuff went to. Look nope. at the Black Lives Matter situation. Well, six million. Okay. That is crazy how, what, $60 million? You know? All right, what, that's, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole nother show because that's like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm still in awe of that one. I'm like, what? How do you yeah. do that? How do you justify having a party? Um, and I know normally you know you do things for your board or something like that, but sixty million dollars? What? That's just ridiculous. It's it's an insult to the people. Actually, is what it is. Um, oh, so no, big time, big time, man. It, it just it livets me that um, you know the bigger organizations get away with stuff like that so much, and then little ones uh, they go and scrounge for every penny and say Wait, where's one dollar where's two dollars and you're like yeah man he takes a salary what are you looking at us for you need to go hit up those people over there and make 50 million <laughs> <laughs> you need to hit up because that's where that's where they're being shady uh but it, it that that story just never resonated with me it put a bad taste in my mouth um and i'm i, I don't know i'm a fun i'm a funny uh, person when it comes to uh blm i love the cause uh, is the, the original cause um, but when I realized, to me, in my opinion, it's not um, not dedicated to helping black men's rights as it is for uh, maybe LGP, you know, the other community's rights. Yeah. No, let me tell you that that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Like even b before that, mm -hmm. my thing is, y'all didn't take none of that money and and even help the mothers of the movement who lost, you know, children to police brutality. No. You know, Eric Garner, Amadou Diallo, these are the mothers of the movement that y'all based this whole thing around, and y'all didn't even straighten them out. Nope. nope. You know what I'm saying? Who, so who was y'all raising this money for? Because it definitely didn't go, like, there really needs to be a, 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 a um, what they call it, a, a, a congressional hearing based around this particular situation. Like, like, I don't even know why, but you know what? <coughs> I think that there's some people that that receive some of this money that nobody wants to talk about. That's exactly what's going on. There it is. And I heard for, I heard that, I heard Biden got some of that money. I would not shock me. It would not shock <laughs> that man, are you kidding me? So I'm, I heard, I'm, I heard I'm, that he got, I mean, don't quote me, but I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I know that I know for a fact that since it hasn't got to the point where these guys are being sequestered, mm -hmm. that there has to be a reason why, um, because yep. that's going to expose somebody bigger than them. Up. Yep. You Whoa. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And that, so that's that's how these things happen a lot of times. Yep. You know, I'm and whenever you see something like, okay, I don't know how mm -hmm. nobody's getting in trouble here, because they know. You ever heard of? Uh, Jim Brown. Yes, I interviewed him once. The, the, the Jamaican, the Jamaican oh. drug dealer. Oh, I thought you meant Jim. Jim Brown, the football player. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's my guy. Oh I wow. Know. Awesome. Know, I, I, well, guess what? That's that's where he got the name from. Get out, really? That's oh, so funny. Jim Brown. Jim was... Brown did a movie. I forgot the name of the movie. Um, but Jim, but uh, <laughs> Lloyd Cokes, who oh. was his real name. Uh -huh. Was in the movie theater, 
and he was, you know, because Jim Brown would always play movies of, you know, macho, and back then, black men loved that because that's the persona, and yes. Jim Brown was a real macho guy in real life, uh, you know, Lester yes. Coates. He is. He's like the kind of guy you want for your dad. He's definitely yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. So he, when he saw this movie, he said, "Yo, that's that's who I am." That's and he took on the name Jim Brown based around Jim Brown's performance in that film. Get out. Now this is the guy who became the leader of the Shower Posse. Oh, you remember those guys? I've heard of the Shower Posse. <laughs> okay, so now these guys. Were political uh, refugees, really. The JLP and the PLP were like the Republicans and Democrats in Jamaica. Okay. Oh, right. They were they were warring against each other over votes, over position, over the elections. Mm -hmm. The United States government, the CIA, funded the both parties in capacity, gave them guns and everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what happens is. A full-out war breaks out. This is around the year 1980, mm -hmm. the year I was born. <laughs> and what happens is, after that war was over, mm -hmm. the, um, the 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 side that won ended up getting political political favor from the prime minister. Jim Brown was in a line with that. He was governing that whole situation. Those guys ended up coming to America, launching like one of the biggest drug operations ever, you know, what? but, the, but the thing was, it got to a point where they got, out, it got out of control. They couldn't control it anymore. Right. And they were behind some, a lot of murders and a lot of drugs. So what happens is Jim Brown was in the process of being extradited from Jamaica to America. During this process, he couldn't believe that the people that were protecting him that were up so high, big, big, big time, weren't able to protect him at this point. <coughs> and he said, okay, if you're going to allow America to take me over there, okay, I'm right. going to do what I got to do if y'all leave me, you know, under the bus. Right, right. And I, I didn't mean to go way out to Jamaica with this, but I love the analogies is how I really, you know, put uh, a lot of things in perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. So... They knew that he had crucial information that could even indicted the prime minister at that time mm -hmm. of Jamaica. Mm. So they said, so now all of a sudden, during the process of that extradition going through, mm. right before they came to get him, to bring mm -hmm. him to America, mm -hmm. he's found dead in his cell, burned to death. What? You see what I'm saying? So, Jesus. you know, if it even got, if certain things even got to where, there was a possibility of exposing someone on a higher level. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Sometimes things just happen. Mm, mm, mm. Mysteriously, coincidentally. You see what I'm saying? That's crazy. So That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but we're famous for, uh, you know, um, I'll say starting little fires. <laughs> That's what I, That's how I refer to them. So helping out, just like, you know, we you know, leaving weapons every place and giving people weapons that don't deserve them, training people. That, that oh, we go oh man. Okay. I, I, I do a whole thing about all that. Too. You know? <laughs> so yeah, well, I'll talk one day for sure. It's just like, what's going on around here? Something's weird, um, but it is what it is. I mean, 
hey, I, I heard even Hitler learned something from us. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> that's what I heard. He learned everything he learned from us. Uh, so it doesn't shock me. Nothing shocks yeah. me. Um, and it's uh, sad, but I guess we do like you do, and we do what we can do, what we have, right? Yeah. We, yes, we yes. change what we want to see. So any last words before you leave us? Yeah, uh, anybody can find me. Um, yes, so, social media. Uh -huh, wait, um, James C. It's James C. B. Gray. If you just type in that, you could even go. If you could even Google James C. B. Gray, and everything will pop up. Uh, all my social media profiles. My website is jamescbgray.com. Oh. Um, let me tell you, that's another thing. Mm -hmm. Always tell people centralize your social media handles all across the board. People don't have time to be tracking you down. That's you know true. I, I realize that after the fact, you're right. You know, that's why and I always encourage people before you create some crazy website name that's so long that nobody can remember it. Uh -huh. Try to shorten it. Try to just keep it down to whatever it is. Like if, if your name on Facebook is Chris the Barber, guess what? <laughs> Instagram, uh, you know, wiki all all of Twitter, it should always be the same. Okay. So you don't, you know, and I, I just, I've always been like that, you know, kept it James C.B. Gray, everything. Thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to take that advice. You're, you're, you're a wealth of, of, uh, of knowledge. And let me tell you, when you, when, when you start to, uh, when it registers on Google, uh -huh. the, the more they're the same, the, the more alignment it is. And the, uh, what's the name of that? Um, the, uh, Algorithm. Algorithm picks it up even better. Okay. Okay. You so know what I'm saying? What's up? Awesome. That's all, all across the board. James C. I'm everything. Is, uh, <laughs> everything. Okay. So that's awesome. Um, what, what, what's that? All everything is James C. B. Gray. All centralized across the board. Okay. Thank you for that tip because uh, that's something I'm, I think I need to check that out, make sure I got that right because I have like host Tanya Cooper <laughs> on uh, the top of Tanya. Yeah, I like I'm like the the film that I'm producing right now. Uh -huh. It's called okay. The Hit Boys Redemption. Ooh. And all across the board, we got all these different profiles. All Hit Boys Redemption, Hit Boys Redemption, all across the board. So it just it just it, it really locks it in. It, it 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 cements it right in algorithms and and it and establishes it in, in inside of your Google profile. Wow. You know, okay. once you once you claim your Google your Google uh, profile. Right. You you start you start to enter algorithms you know without you even working it you know what right. I'm saying right okay so, so my my Google platform is crazy right now because it's just so centralized wow I love it you thank know. you that, that's the best tip I think I got all week all month actually <laughs> and and free so guys if you heard that part you got extra gold tonight um I appreciate you hey hey Rich so I'm just gonna say hi to some of the people out here Rich uh, Yvonne um grandma i saw you somewhere and i think i saw gina did i see gina uh i see some of you some of you i can't see i i don't know why but it's okay i appreciate you for taking the time to watch and richard i see you have time i know you had to get in here after work uh no problem thank you for the introduction i appreciate it you always have beautiful people with beautiful spirits i don't know how you do it but you're just a wealth of walking spirit good people <laughs> everybody, everybody answered this. Oh, oh, that is that that's Richard. Richard, Richard, Richard Adamson. Yeah, just say what's up, man. That's yo, that's my guy. Richard is amazing. Yep, he's dude, man. I mean, he's like uh, 
he's like a brother. Yeah. You know, it's funny. He, he's really he was really uh, tight with my sister too, man. Oh. And my sister was going through some stuff, and he was he was there for her, man, praying for her and everything. Oh wow! You know, wow. like I, you know, Rich, Richard, me and him go back. He knows my grandmother, like he knows my whole family. Wow. You know, like that's like a real brother, man. Wow. Yeah, Rich you is a beautiful so. person, and he's uh, I call him one of my co-producers sometimes because he books uh, books guests for me and helps me out. So he's awesome and and such a giving person. Always giving, 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 I tell you, and, and being changed in the community. Again, uh, everybody loves talking to him. He's great, great at counseling and great at, uh, at uh, being an elder. Uh, so we appreciate you, even yeah, though I still yeah. miss your music. <laughs> <laughs> I still miss that music. Um, but, yeah, so thank you, guys. You guys have been awesome hanging out with this long. I see uh, you guys didn't even drop off, so that's amazing. Thank you. I mean, how could you? You're getting free information from uh, <laughs> uh, walking human uh, human, um, not thesaurus, is, uh, who has a wealth of information on things that will change or save a life. So you cannot, you can, anybody who turned, oh, well, you missed a lot. You missed a lot. Oh, you'll also, if, if, if you go to any of my social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh-huh. you'll see my, I post Black History Facts 365 days of the year. Wow. Yes. And I've been, I've been doing it for 11 years now. The only day I actually missed was, um, one day when uh, Donald Trump had me arrested, oh, and um, really did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually the first, the first person he, I was, I was the first person he had, he had arrested when he came in office. Uh-huh. What, what happened is, um, when Barack Obama was in office, uh-huh. one of the Supreme Court justices had passed away, uh-huh. and Barack Obama wanted to submit another Supreme Court justice immediately. Mm-hmm. So Congress said no. You got to wait till the end of the next quarter to, to to do that. Wow. The same exact scenario happened with Trump, and they let him appoint one immediately. That was a strategic uh, implementation because the quarterly uh, session mm-hmm. would give the opposition enough time to develop a strategy. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So by not allowing uh, Obama to do it. And then letting um, Donald Trump do it, that was like, you know, a double-edged sword. Mm. So we didn't like the fact that that happened. Plus, the Supreme Court justice that uh, Trump was wanted to submit mm-hmm. was a racist and said publicly that he would, he wished he could turn back all civil rights legislation. I remember that, yeah. Okay. Uh, so... But everybody swears he's not racist. He's not racist, okay? Let's get it right. Let's get it correct. He's not racist. He just has a problem with black people. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> so we 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 ended up um, protesting uh, his decision. Mm-hmm. So he was supposed to make his final decision at 8, o- eight, o- 8 o'clock the next day. So mm-hmm. we were out there the next day, mm-hmm. and we waited all up until 8 o'clock. And if he decided to select him, we was mm-hmm. going to protest. If he didn't, we wasn't going to do it. So he he did he selected and we we immediately blocked traffic in front of Trump Towers Trump wow. Plaza, right? And um, Donald Trump gave the order for NYPD to arrest us. Mm. I just I, I just happened to be the first one arrested. <coughs> just wasting and, taxpayers' money. Yeah, so mm. they took us to uh, they took us to jail. Mm. When we got to jail, we had like a thousand people outside, you know, rallying for us. Right. You know, and oh, that was the time 
Okay, now this is funny. <laughs> when we got to jail, they put us uh, all in. It was about it was five of me, Kirsten, Jamani Williams, who's now the New York, uh, oh, the New York City Public Advocate. Mm -hmm. He was he was in jail with us too. <laughs> and um, what happened was I was the only one that had on shoes that didn't have uh, shoestrings. Okay. You know they they had a, a buckle. Right. So everybody has shoestrings. It's okay. Everybody with shoestrings go on that side. Take your shoestrings out. Everybody without shoestrings go on that side. So that I'm the only one that didn't have shoestrings. So I went over here. So they were they were gonna just put me right into the cell. Mm -hmm. So the lady asked me. She said, "You know, did they search you?" So I was like, "I said, yeah. You know, nobody searched me though." Right. So I actually had my cell phone on me, <laughs> and we did we did a live in jail. <laughs> no way. No way. Oh, I hope you have that footage. Please tell me. No, I, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Oh my God, that's hilarious. And this I, is what this back when Jamani was city council. He wasn't even a bro. Uh, uh, you need to save that for somewhere, and you're doc one of them, some documentary or something. No, no, it's definitely going to be in a documentary. Wow, um, that is amazing. That is. Like, you guys have the. <laughs> we did a whole uh, Facebook hilarious. live in jail. No way. That is hilarious. Yeah. So it's recorded everywhere, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. it's out. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you the footage, though. So. I think that's, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm sorry. As a comedian, that's gold. Um, but, uh, well, yeah. Hi, I'm recording live from Facebook uh, at the jail. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, they took my shoestrings, but they didn't take my cell phone. <laughs> it's like, yo, it's like, yo, I, I had cigars in my pocket and everything, but, you <laughs> know, I wasn't crazy enough to do that, you know, but yeah. I was just amazed that, they asked me. I mean, they probably thought I was going to be honest. But I'm like, yo, I got an opportunity to do a live right now. We're, we're going to do this. <laughs> Spoken like a true producer. Um, exactly. That that's your instinct. Uh, so you couldn't help yourself. Like, I'm a reporter, so I'm always going to ask questions. Uh, even oh, man. If like it. It just, it just, that's the first thing I'm going to do. Uh, that's hilarious. I'm sorry. I can't wait to see that. But, uh, but again, uh, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> you guys out there. I want you to do me a favor, like, subscribe, and share. And a big thank you to all our old and our new subscribers woo, 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 all over UK, Germany, Sweden. Thank you so much. I see you. Um, and uh, I, I know I got some family over there, too, in Germany. So I'm pretty sure that's one of them. I can't peg who the other people are. So thank you. Whoever you are, I appreciate you in London all over. You guys are awesome. Uh, CB uh, James, CB Gray, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And I wish you the best. And let us know uh, when you're when all of your work is available, because um, we're. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm working. I'm still still filming right now uh, on the on the uh, episodic production. Okay. Um, the documentaries in the editing phase right now. Okay. And we're about to start on the human trafficking thing, oh. uh, probably next year. Okay. Okay. Nice. Very nice. That's uh, that's brilliant. I think. And I'm writing two books. Um, one of oh. them is uh one of them's called becoming a classic man which is a blueprint for young black males who want to succeed in life Ooh. um I'm, I'm talking about everything from a to z and one of the most instrumental parts is the core value structure system mm -hmm. so the enticing aspect is you know put on the suit you get your girl put on the suit you get the job but before you put on the suit Make sure you have the core value system, right? Uh, honor, integrity, mm. uh, respect—you know—all these the core value system. 
Right. And once you have that, then you put on the suit. But the mm. suit without the core value system is a fraud. Mm. And that is the big thing. Ooh. So, you know, it's it's kind of like, uh, remember back in the days, in order to become a man, you had to go through the rites of passage. Yes. You had to kill a deer or you had to, yeah. you know, stay, you know, stay out in the, in, the, in the wilderness for a certain amount of time. The Indians and the Africans in culturally had the uh, the elders were bringing up the, the, the young men through rites of passage. Right. Nowadays, the rites of passage is either you get shot or you go to jail. You survive those two things, you've evolved into a man. Right. Unjustifiably unwarranted prospect of gratification. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Right. That's not real. That that's you know, that you, you haven't paid your dues. No. Okay, now instead of being out in the wilderness or killing that lion or whatever, right. now phasing over from a boy to a man mm-hmm. is you know, embodiment of these characteristics and proving that you know you have what it takes to be a good man. You right. have you know what it is to be a provider, you know what it is to be a protector, mm-hmm. you know what respect all across the board is, honor and integrity. These are things that you know a lot of these young males that are born, born without fathers are not getting the you know um the the proper aspect of manhood right and no matter how amazing the mother is right Can't raise still, you, you see what i'm saying this is why i'm always talking to bro- brothers about mentorship and, and and volunteering their time to reach out to somebody in some capacity that's going to touch them and give them something might not be everything but it's something's better than nothing yep you know a month I was very blessed to have mentors, man, amazing mentors like Reverend Al Sharpton, yes. Ozzy Davis, uh, yes. Lou Myers. These these people that took me under the wing and believed in me and helped me because they knew I was gonna be, I was gonna do the same thing and pay it forward. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So that's why I'm always advocating for, you know, brothers. Even, even if you don't have no kids, you could you could be a mentor. Right. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, you know, so much needed. Yeah, I can't wait till that book comes out. Um, I, I hurry up and get it done. I mean, you got something. I, I, I know it's hard because I'm, you know, time I try. So, sometimes I don't even have time to write like I want to. <laughs> right. You know, but it, it's coming there. It's coming. You know, I got a good publisher and everything waiting on it. <laughs> nice, sweet. You know. so there it is. We'll be waiting for it too. And you let me know when it comes on time. I would like to have you back um, and promote it uh, any way I can, you know. All right, cool, cool. So we're going to really end today, guys, <laughs> for real, for real. Um, but, of course, I ended just a little song from Tatiana. So just give me a second. And, um, oh, yeah, I don't even need to put it there. So let me take – I'm going to take us off the screen. Hang out with me for one second. Don't go anywhere. Okay. All, All right. right. See, I'm going to go like this. His heart's a little heavy, drinks beers, tries to shed He's always on it right till the end. Oh, just tell me when you're on it, I got it. Oh, just tell me when you're 